Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, Michelle Montaigne. KT Wells, also Channel 8, is going to join us. We'll take an inside look around the Big 12 Conference with Michelle. Talking Sooners, Cowboys, and more. Uh, also, going to talk some NBA with the Oklahoma City Thunder uh, there in her market. She's also a big Spurs fan, so plenty to talk about with Michelle there. And uh, some soccer perspective as uh, she covers the MLS in the uh, MLS Minor League. We'll get her thoughts coming up later on. Plus, Coach Bo is here with the football fix with our weekly picks against the spread and a look around the National Football League as well as college football. We'll have our Big 12 breakdown as well as our Tom Fullery story of the week coming up later on in the show. Joining me as always is Thomas Bridges, uh, who, I'll be honest, is very excited uh, about today's guest, uh, Michelle Montaigne, joining us uh, here in a bit. Yeah, big fan of the Spurs as well, you know, and I'm not from San Antonio, but I'm here right now. Um, and, you know, we are recording this on a Wednesday night. And if we weren't going to, well, I can't say that. We would have recorded on a Thursday or even earlier if I would have figured it out. But um, I went Monday night to the Spurs game and sat in the Super Box for like 26 bucks. Um, and I did find some good tickets tonight. Um overall but it is still preseason Wimby did not play on Monday night but he did in the scrimmage so I have seen him in person uh he's uh, he's a man um let me tell you that but tell me this Tom what does the super box consist of did you get any food and drink included or anything so all food and drink you know VIP entrance um you get in you can get in an hour and a half earlier than everybody else free beer all the way up into the fourth quarter and then you can still buy beer you can buy beer or liquor after the third quarter unlike the rest of the people they had brisket sandwiches um roasted potatoes seasoned veggies uh they had popcorn checks mix uh, they had cheesecake bites, all free. Wow. Uh, th- yeah, all free. How much um, you paid for this? $26. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, granted, it's a preseason game, but I oh. saw it and I was like, yep, I got to I got. It's cheaper than what you would have paid for just the meal itself. Yeah, and I got dinner and a show. So, right. Uh, I, had a, I had a great time. Um, and, and the seat, you know, was – you could see everything, and uh, they even had TVs up there, so I got to watch Monday Night Football as well. Okay. So, you know, I couldn't – I really couldn't beat it, and I almost sat – tonight as we're recording this, I almost sat five rows from the court. Uh, unfortunately, they paired the tickets up together, so – um, if they if they wouldn't, we wouldn't be recording the show right now. I'd be at the game because it would be five right. rows from the court and right next to Spurs bench. But we're here right now, and I am currently watching the Spurs game. They're up twenty with two minutes to go in the in the second quarter. So with that said, Tom, um, I, I want to I want to do this super box thing. If I got to come to San Antonio, or if we do it for a Mavs game or something like that, like. 
we, we need to find a deal somewhere. I, I don't care if I have to go to Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, Oklahoma City, whatever it may be. I want to find this super box deal and take advantage of this because th- this sounds like a great a, a great idea and a great time. Oh no, it was it was a blast. And you know, friend of the show, Billy Locke is coming down for New Year's. You're more than welcome to come. Miguel, a friend of the show, Miguel is thinking about coming down for New Year's. Um, you know, I have one guest bed that could fit two people if you wanted it to. And I have two couches with recliners. You you're not a stranger to sleeping on my couch. So True. It's there. We might have we might have a bros, you know, um we'll have a bros New Year's Eve, Spurs play Celtics in San Antonio that night. Um, uh, and we were planning on going to the game. So those tickets might be a little bit more expensive than considering it's New Year's Eve and it's the Celtics. But it is a Sunday night, so maybe not. Um, and you know what? The way that Oklahoma State is playing, it might be the Alamo Bowl on Thursday, and then on Sunday uh, for Spurs and Cel- or Celtics at Spurs. So uh, there's there's a lot to be. I don't think that you know this leads in. <clears throat> excuse me to the Big Twelve, but I don't think I don't think. OSU will make it to the championship game, but if they can, hey, finish third in the Big 12, you know, they arguably have one more loss on their schedule, uh, which would be OU, and then they could potentially finish third. So we'll see how that goes this weekend, but um, OSU versus maybe a USC or an Oregon State, could be a very real possibility for the Alamo Bowl. So uh, think yeah. about it. We got a couple months, but uh, end of the year in San Antonio on the Riverwalk. I think that sounds pretty, pretty popping. Maybe so. Tom still owes a trip to Dallas first. Uh, I do. I'll be there on the 17th of November. Okay. Uh, I, I might be in town. We'll see. Uh, but nonetheless, with that said, uh, I got to tell you, uh, Tom, kind of recapping the weekend of some sorts on, on both fronts. Um, I was at this sports bar. Tell me this, if you think this is a, a penalty flag, if you want to throw the penalty flag on this one or not, because I wanted to throw the penalty flag on this one. I was at this sports bar on Saturday afternoon, college football and all these TVs, great atmosphere, and the DJ was playing music, drinks were great and all this. I I was enjoying myself. And then, Tom, they turn off college football on some of the screens to show that Jake Paul fight against some guy. Oh, no. And they put the sound on it, too. And, like, I was scrambling to find the Kansas-Oklahoma State game all of a sudden. I had to ask them to change the channel to the Kansas-Oklahoma State game Probably should have just left it on the Jake Paul fight, uh, hindsight 2020. Uh, but with that said, Tom, like, what has this world come to that on a college football Saturday, I get inter- interrupted to watch some YouTube star uh, in his exhibition boxing match? I couldn't give two shits. Yeah, you know, and I already had the the TV app going for you. Um yeah, that saved my ass on Sunday. 
Yeah, and that's a that's a solid one. So I was watching well, I'm watching the Spurs right now from Stream East, but um the TV app is usually pretty solid um overall. Um so next time that happens, the TV app.to is your friend. Um we're not getting paid by them, not yet, but um you could pretty much watch anything from there. So yeah. Um, I don't have to worry about a lot less ad, a lot less ads than Stream East, but I'm still a big Stream East fan. So yeah, uh, don't have to worry about getting caught by a Jake Paul fight. Um, yeah, yeah, but at the same time, you can watch the fights if you want to. Yeah, I'm like Jake Paul. You can have your fight and all that. Like I'm not a huge Jake Paul hater, like some people are, but. I just don't want him interrupting my college football Saturday ever again. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. Like, come on, Jake, like fight at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. You can interrupt Pac-12 after dark, but don't come after my midday college football game next time. That's my only request. I can't Uh, believe it it interrupted like midday college football. It wasn't like it was like a Pac-12 after dark. Oh, and I guess I was around a bunch of uh, delinquents because everybody there was all focused on the Jake Paul fight. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they could not care less. And there was, like, a great game between Oregon and Washington that I was trying to watch as well. And Even after TCU beat the shit out of the Mormons? Oh, yeah. Everybody was... Very focused in this place. Granted, everybody there was like under probably 32. And they all were in on the fight. I'm like, I am at the wrong place, I guess. Uh, this well, is- And then he fought somebody that was more like a fucking WWE son of a bitch than an actual real fighter. This is like <laughs> the, the, the least person he's ever fought. Yes. Yes. I, like I- he, He's like the trashiest person that's yes. ever been like I rather much rather deal with having to watch the Taylor Swift side show of an NFL game than ever get interrupted by a Jake Paul fight during the middle of a college football day ever again. I'll, I'll, I'll take that uh, over the other, but nonetheless uh, we move on. Let's go around the national football league and uh, a couple of headlines, uh, Tom, some notable moves, Ahead of the trade deadline. Let's start with Kansas City. Reunions of sorts. McCole Hardman is coming back. Frank Clark is expected to come back to Kansas City. Um, You know, I'll say this. Frank Clark, that one makes a little more sense. You can never have too many pass rushers. He's Well, and he he coming from Seattle. Is he coming from Seattle? No, he's coming from Denver, where he only played two games. Yeah. Uh, two games in Denver, such a long run there before he's back in KC. Um, he's coming to KC again. And then you got McCole Hardman, who had a very short stint with the Jets. I don't even know how much he got activated. He may only have been activated for a couple of games. But as far as the Frank Clark goes, that one makes more sense. You can never have too many pass rushers. Um, you know, they're getting him at a discount. He and Chris Jones always played well together. But the McCole Hardman one, that one was a bit of a head-scratcher, Tom, because he and Patrick Mahomes were never on the same page. Mahomes always tore into his ass all the time for running the wrong routes, and we know the Chiefs receiving core isn't that good right now. Um, 
how desperate are they if they had to go search to bring McCole Hardman back, who was notorious for underachieving there in Kansas City? Uh, man, times are times are desperate right now. I think for for the Chiefs uh, at at the moment. Uh, not saying that they can't get things back on track, but these uh, these moves here, uh, Brett Veach uh, and company, a little worried. You think? Uh, are you buying or selling the cheap? I don't think. I don't think they're worried, right? Like, like maybe I don't. I don't know what they are because, you know, at that at that point in time, it's like okay, well, you know, the Raiders are done, the Broncos are done, the Chargers don't look good, like. You know, they're kind of fortifying a little bit, it seems like, which is cool. But is it a little overkill? Is McCole Hardman a little bit overkill? Uh, to me, they might not just trust uh, Marcus Scantling. Wait, why are you wasting your time on McCole Hardman when you can go make a trade for DeAndre Hopkins right now? I mean, yeah, you could, but, like, Hopkins, now, I think Hopkins Hop would looks have... good right now, too, but. Uh, he's okay. I think he'd have a resurgence, obviously under Mahomes, but like, and and I think Hopkins probably wants out. It's not like Tennessee's that bad, but he's not getting that much play. I mean, he so, looks. He is the one bright spot in that Tennessee offense right now. He looks really good. I mean, he looks okay. Fantasy, fantasy will tell you that he's not doing so hot. Yeah, I mean, I look at, take example, so Philly, they go get Julio Jones, and it's kind of similar to this McCole Hardman deal, Tom. Julio Jones has been washed for like two or three years, and they're saying, let's try it. Let's let's do something and see what happens here. Like, in, in a sense, like, Tom, I would rather give Julio Jones a shot then I would McCall Hardman. I think you know what you're getting out of McCall Hardman. Yeah. There's still a chance that vintage old Julio Jones might still come out. Like Phil and Philly's already loaded at receiver with Devonta Smith and uh, AJ Brown here. They they're not going to ask a whole now, lot. What, who, who was McCall Hardman? Was he with the Jets? Yeah, he was with the Jets for a hot minute. Yeah, and so Garrett Wilson hasn't even been playing that good, and so I mean. I haven't. I'll, I will. I will say that I have not seen. Um, is it Sky Wilson? Sky Moore. Sky Moore. Sky. Yeah. Sky Moore. I haven't seen Sky Moore mentioned. Um, you Sky know, Moore hasn't played that good. Right. Like so, you have Scantling. You have. I mean, the the other receivers aren't really. Who's the next best receiver? Canarius Tony. Um, yeah, he kind of redeemed himself a couple weeks ago a little bit. Rasheed Rice, uh, the rookie, yeah. looks really good, but I mean, he's still a rookie. I mean, th this isn't this receiving core is not up to snuff, and I, I feel like they're going to ask a whole lot out of McCole Hardman, and they might regret it. I mean, yeah, I think they will too. Like, I mean. What what kind of I mean I'm I'm assuming they just took on the deal that he got from the Jets. Yeah, they took on his deal and they gave up. Uh, they swapped a sixth round pick and got a seventh round pick back. 
I mean, so not terrible, but what what's what's uh, you know what what's he sipping on? You know, what's his deal like? Uh, he's not making a ton of money, so it's not it's not like that much more than the Chiefs might have paid him if he was to stick around, right? You know, I think I think that if you if you couldn't get Hopkins, you know, for whatever price or whatever it may be. I think that's fine because he knows the offense. And I think that I think, you know, and I don't think the chiefs offense is like too hard to learn when you have a quarterback like Mahomes. I think you're probably pretty solid overall, but, um, you know, if you get someone that's already been a part of it, then that's cool. But if you bring in Hopkins or Julio Jones, then they're going to want to be featured immediately. I think if you can work back in McCole Hardman um, to kind of the same, if you can get the same productiveness out of them or even maybe a little bit more, then I think you're looking pretty solid. Um, I think it's more of an insurance move than anything. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're still fine. Right. You know, it's not like, I mean, they're going to win the division. Yeah. So at this point, it's just it's kind of it's it's an insurance policy, and I think it's an insurance policy in terms of Travis Kelsey kind of going down. Now, one of the more interesting storylines I feel like as we get ready for this trade deadline coming up in you know just over a week from now, Tom, right there in that same division, like what's unraveling in Denver. We mentioned Frank Clark is already about to be gone. You know he's he was released and. Barely even was there. But now you got Jerry Judy being shopped around. And you hear what Steve Smith, Steve Smith Sr. said about him the other day? Oh, yeah. I mean, roasted his ass. I mean, this is Jerry Judy. Was he wrong, though? This is Jerry Judy's chance to get a fresh start, get out of Denver. And, you know, Steve Smith, to his credit, like, he is well-respected, not only as a terrific talent, but – uh, a great guy, and he's done a great job in the NFL Network and everything. I, I think, Tom, what, what he said holds value. I think that made teams pause and stop for a second on a potential Jerry Judy trade. I, I would be willing to bet just his comments alone, what he had to say, hurt Jerry Judy's trade value a bit. Oh, 110% they did. Like, uh, Jerry Judy or – you know, Jared Judy came after the wrong motherfucker, right? <laughs> you know, like, and and not only did Jared Judy make himself kind of look like a fool, uh, Steve Smith just added to it and was like, yeah, you're a scrub. Um, I'd receive and, three, yeah. Well, yeah, you don't, you, you don't fuck with Steve Smith. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Steve Smith's a G. Everybody likes Steve Smith. You know, like, you, like, you know, if you're Jerry Judy, you have Russell Wilson. Like, listen, Steve Smith killed the league with Jake DeLome. Like, who are you taking, Russell Wilson or Jake DeLome? Right. And now, granted, you know, here's the deal. Russell Wilson has good receivers. He has a decent running back core. Jake DeLome had Musa Muhammad and Steve Smith. I can't remember the tight end's name. Probably not anybody that great. Um, um, Greg Olson. 
Was it? Are you sure? Oh, Greg Olson was in the Cam Newton era. I, I was. I was about to say maybe rookie Greg. You know, maybe rookie. Yeah, but Olson maybe. I don't even know. You look at Denver here, Tom. You know, Russ sucks. Uh, you got Noah here. Fant. Noah Fant has disappeared. Well, he's in Seattle. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Well, he still disappeared. Uh, he played pretty good on that Monday night game a couple weeks ago against the Giants. Uh, but as far as Denver goes, you know, Jerry Judy, you got this whole stuff going on. Cortland Sutton's being shopped. Um, you know, we mentioned Russ sucks. Patrick Sutton, uh, Patrick Sutan is being shopped right now, too. Um, a lot of question marks about Sean Payton. I think that is – I really wish we had, like, a hard knocks or an in-season video study show going on in Denver right now because this thing is unraveling fast. Like, they're going to be sellers at the deadline, and if Russ continues to suck, Sean Payton might find a way to move on from Russ at the end of the year, and then Sean Payton – Honestly, Tom, I, I've said this about Sean Payton for a long time. I think Sean Payton's one of the most overrated coaches in the league. And this time in Denver has gotten him exposed for who he really is. He's a great offensive mind, but I don't think he's even that much better than Jason Garrett, in all honesty. And I think we're seeing it come to fruition here. What here's here's my you know, tinfoil hat, like what's gonna happen here in Denver. Uh they're gonna be sellers the deadline. Russ is going to get to play out the rest of the year and he's going to suck. And Sean Payton's going to try to replace him or whatever. And Sean Payton's going to struggle. And Sean Payton just might be out of job by the end of next year. Like they, they have spent a whole lot of money and have had, they're going to have no return on investment here with what they've done in these last two years. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, a, it's kind of like an, the the Nets trading to Boston type deal, yeah. Like the I think the Broncos just got set back ten years. <laughs> yeah, call Jose right now. Call friend of the friend of the show, Jose. Yeah, we might need to. Um, what about uh, what about this Kirk Cousins deal, Tom? Like it, it's interesting with the Vikings of that you have. Cousins playing really good football on a bad team. The Vikings really not, good. He's playing. He's he's looked fantastic. Um, I'd, say, I'd say it's okay. Are, are you, you you're living too much in fantasy numbers? Uh, I mean, no, no, I get that, but like, no, I'm living in like okay, that's not translating to wins. I mean, that defense is ass. They're, I mean, yeah, it is. Kirk but I'm is just good. saying the Vi the Vikings in general. I mean, like Cousins and Jefferson are terrific, but every, they have well, no and now Jefferson's and no done for six weeks. Yeah, that's true. Jefferson's out for a while. With that said, the Vikings are sellers here. Uh, I'm very curious if you're a team like the Jets or somebody that's a borderline playoff team. Go get Kirk. Do you go get Kirk? Oh, I mean, I don't know, man. Is is a Rod? Is he going to come back? He thinks he is. I don't think. I so. say, I say no. You, you want to go make that trade for Kirk? 
Well, I'm saying, like, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is coming back this season. Yeah, I, I would guess not, but he seems to think that he's got a chance. I mean, and granted to him, he's put in the work. Right. I don't know, though. Like, is this is this the trade that you make? Is this the trade that, I mean, you bring up a great point. Trade Kirk for Zach Wilson and maybe, you know, maybe not Garrett Wilson. But, like, trade, trade Kirk for Zach and a fourth rounder. I don't know. I'd probably do it. And then, if you're the Jets, like, is it just rental with Cousins, or do you go ahead and extend him? And what do you figure out with Aaron Rodgers here? Like, that's a whole other thing, you know. I mean, so depends on the rehab thing. You know, it depends on what you want to do this season. Yeah. So that's fascinating. Uh, we'll see how it ultimately plays out. One more thing before we get to. Uh, our Big 12 breakdown on the NFL side of things. Last week, Tom, the two undefeateds left in the league uh, lost, the Niners and the Eagles. And I'm going to have a spirited debate with uh, with Bo about all this coming up later on the football fix. It's what we call tease in the biz. Um, but I got to say, the one loss to me, Tom, doesn't change how I feel about Philly and San Francisco. They're both super talented teams. I still think they're still the two best teams in football at the moment. Like, you know, you were going to lose at some point eventually. I know that they both lost to teams they weren't supposed to lose to in the Jets and the Browns, but I'm not wavering my belief in those two teams. Are, do you still believe those are the two best teams in the league at the moment, or or did your opinions change at all from what we saw? You know, with, with, the, with the injuries, um, you know, I got to take it away from the Niners. You know, like, you know, McCaffrey, who knows, just because they rode him so hard. And I'm not saying that they were the best team because they relied on them that much. They're still very good defensively. And I think the Niners will probably still win the NFC West. Um, and they've been very they, – they know how to get the running back game going. So I think they'll be fine. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that go on that I'm like, uh, you know, I have my reservations. So I, I'm a little biased, obviously, but – you know, I've seen I've seen what I've seen, and I think the defense for the Niners is unbeatable. He's a little biased. He's a he's a lifelong Brocktober Brock Purdy fan. Uh, Absolutely not. Oh man! But nonetheless, we'll uh, we'll shift gears, get to our Big Twelve breakdown this week for the uh, top headlines around the Big Twelve conference. Michelle Montaigne's going to have more when she joins us coming up in just a moment. Time for our Big 12 breakdown. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges here with you with a look around the Big 12. And we begin, as we do each and every week, with our hot takes in the league this week. And, 
Tom, there's a lot of different directions uh, we could go on the uh, hot takes front. Which direction would you like to start with? So Neil Brown's got that uh, Bruce Weber vibe going, and I think that West Virginia as a whole has solidified his job for the next year. But I will say that Mike Gundy and crew, I think, somewhat has turned a corner. Um, that game is at 2.30. Be very interested to see how that happens. West Virginia kind of had a, a, a kind of a lapse a little bit, it seemed like. So I'm going to say Oklahoma State by 13 points uh, this weekend. Here's my hot take, Tom. I'm going to go to Manhattan for this one. Um, oh. The Cats got off to a slow start, a couple losses. Will Howard <sighs> suffered that injury, and Will Howard hasn't looked like what he's capable of. And then they got a spark with Avery Johnson at quarterback. Not the True. Not the former Mavs coach, Avery Johnson, but the uh, Kansas high school legend, Avery Johnson. Um, I like what I've seen from Avery Johnson. He played really well in that game against Tech last week. Uh, I think that K-State, kind of like Oklahoma State in that sense, uh, could be turning a corner here, head of the right direction. Uh, and it's weird with them. Like, they go through these quarterback changes and handle it better than other teams do. You know, they uh, went from just last year, uh, you know, turning things over to Will Howard from Adrian Martinez or in the past – you know, they've gone from Skylar Thompson to somebody else, whatever it may be. I think, no offense to Will Howard, but they say that they're going to play both quarterbacks, that they like what they have from both guys. I, I would go with the hot hand. I think the right decision for Cl Chris Kleiman would be to go forward with Avery Johnson until proven otherwise. Because Will Howard, I like the guy. He's, you know, he led him to a Big 12 championship and everything, but. He just doesn't look right. He just looks off right now. I, I think that Avery Johnson needs to be their quarterback. I mean, yeah, like Will Howard has been there. Um, you know, he's he's been there as long as like Perry Ellis has been at KU. So I think for them it would be beneficial to, you know, take that in stride and and see what else is out there because I think the, I I think for KU or not K, KU but K State there is a decent amount available for them. Before we break down this week's slate of games, Tom, uh, the Big Twelve standings as they are right now: OU at three and O, Iowa State at three and one, and then OSU, Texas, K State, West Virginia, all at two and one. I'm going to talk about this more with Michelle here in a moment, but Tom, we are really one game away from this race totally just shaking up and going bananas here. If Texas slips up and loses a game, which, you know, hey, they had to slip up against Oklahoma. That was a game they weren't supposed to lose. If they lose another, which could happen, Texas could Texas here then we got a whole lot of figuring out to do. You might have a, you know, two, three, four-way tie for that second spot to get in the Big 12 championship game to face Oklahoma here. Like, we're we're really just one game away from potentially opening up the floodgates. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, it really, really just takes one game either from OU to drop or Texas to drop. Well, in OU's case, and, it has to be two. Right, exactly. Uh, I mean, they control their own destiny and they still have some insurance. So that being like, okay, Bedlam is coming up in, what, three weeks? Yeah. So if they were to somehow drop that in Stillwater, I don't think they will. But if they were, if they do, they still have a game to lose and open up and they can still make the, they can still make the, you know, they can, I don't know. I don't know what would happen with the playoff. Yeah. But they can still, they can still do it. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it is very interesting to see how this is all going to unfold here in the next few weeks. With that said, let's take a look at the uh, Big 12 slate of games this week. Oklahoma and UCF, Sooners are 19-point favorites. UCF has not looked good the last few weeks. Uh, the offense for them just hasn't been there. McLean, uh, you know, has been their top quarterback this year but you look at what they've done the last few weeks got blown out by Kansas lost a game against Baylor where they led by what was it 28 29 points and then they lost to K-State by double digits here it has been a rough start for UCF since they've uh you know joined the Big 12 conference Dylan Gabriel taking on his old team here OU coming off a bye this is a bad set up for UCF here to, to be going up against this Oklahoma team off that bye and Dylan Gabriel probably playing uh, with something to prove against this whole team. Oh, my God, yeah. And I think they're a little worried about, you know, Dylan Gabriel going off, and I don't think this, you know, UCF team is uh, – well, to be honest, I don't think they're worth the fuck. <laughs> I mean that's that's just honesty, right? That's funny. Yes. I mean I don't think they're worth the dog shit. <laughs> I you know, I think I think that a lot of people would agree. I mean it's it's Houston, UCF, Cincinnati. Those are the bottom three in my opinion. No specific order. You know, those are the shittiest teams in the new Big 12. I mean, if we're going to be frank, all the new members are asked right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, to me, Houston, like, if you're going to pick a new coach for one team, Dana's got to be gone in Houston. Um, I mean, you know, none of the new Cincinnati members. Has, Cincinnati has a little benefit of the doubt. None of the new members have beaten the current Big 12 school, right? And is it not beautiful? Oh, it's hilarious. That's um, beautiful. I mean, BYU got their ass kicked by TCU, who I don't think is that good last week. Uh, thank God they did, too. Cincinnati hasn't won a Big 12 game yet. No, since Cincinnati's bad. Yeah. Houston is bad. Um. Yeah, I mean, 
Houston, this Houston, Houston and Cincinnati are the bottom. Okay, there. I take that back. Houston had that overtime thriller, or they had that uh Hail Mary to beat West Virginia on Thursday. Oh yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, that's but one. that's that's such a Neil Brown loss. <laughs> Isn't it? That, that's a I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like this West Virginia team has won good games so far. And Dana, like, you know, wanted that win against West Virginia so bad, too. Oh, you know, he did. I mean, he took like three or four Xanax during the whole game. <laughs> About five Red Bulls. Like, okay. You know, like, all right. Um, yeah, We'll get this far. Baylor and Cincinnati, that game just sounds gross. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Where's that game at in Waco? It's at Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's favored. I lean towards Baylor, oh, but I don't say that with a lot of confidence. They're they're both bad. Oh, I lean towards Baylor too. Um, OSU, West Virginia, both teams at four and two. Um, better than expected for West Virginia. Uh, Oklahoma State turned a corner the last couple of weeks. I feel like both these teams are going to come in with that with something to prove. We're going to find out if you're a contender or a pretender with uh, this one here. Yeah, I think so. And what's what's the line on that? The line as we're recording this, West Virginia's favored by three and a half. So half point favored at home. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty standard. And you can get into this game uh, for $30 on Vivid Seats, apparently. I mean, yeah, if I was going to be in Morgantown, I'd, 110% I'd be there. What else are you going to do in Morgantown? Great. They're shy. Um, Bowman, he was kind of the spark that Oklahoma offense needed, Oklahoma State offense needed, like, he should have been the starter for the- maybe a little bit, but it's really Ollie Gordon. Ollie Gordon, like he he is better than the store Ollie's. Yeah, he's he's like he's KU Puka Williams. You ever shopped at Ollie's? I have, and it was trash. <laughs> they got a good Ollie's. It, the, the Ollie's the Ollie's in Tulsa is in the old um, uh, Toys R Us. Yeah. They got all yeah, those and it's, it's horrible. <laughs> they got a good one there in Bortlesville. Uh yeah, they do. From what I've heard, they do. <laughs> uh yeah. I, I feel like this Oklahoma State team is the shopping equivalent of an Ollie's. Golly, yeah, they are. It, it, you know, and, and we're shopping bad. at a different. We're shopping at a different location every week. They're not bad, and they might surprise you sometimes. But they're not good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's why I said, like my hope, and obviously I'm a little biased. Let's make the Alamo Bowl on December 28th against maybe a USC or Oregon State. And, you know, let me have my dues because I'm not going to be able to make it to an OSU game this year. Like, let me have my let me have my dues just 
come on here and play the Alamo Bowl, and we'll be fine. They need Ollie's needs to do a nil deal with with Ollie. They should. I mean, you see what the coldest Crawford got, right? Couple more games here. Texas coming off a of bye week at Houston. Houston with a few extra days off after playing on a Thursday night last week and getting that win against West Virginia. Uh, the Big 12 intentionally wanted this game. They wanted Texas to have to play a conference game at Houston. They're getting their wish. But Texas coming off that loss, a week to think about it. Um, I don't think Texas wants to embarrass their uh, their university again, and I, I don't see any way this game's going to be close. I, I think that they're going to try to, you know, put a, put Houston out of their misery of some sort. You think they're going to try to embarrass them? I think so. I could see it. And it shouldn't be that hard because Houston's not that good. No, no. I, I mean, they're on the, the same plane as Cincinnati. Um. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, they should. They unless they shit the bed, then right. I agree. Texas Tech and BYU. Um, I lean towards Tech. I think that when they're playing at their best, they're better than what BYU is at their best. Uh, I like Schaff more than I do uh, BYU's quarterback Slovis. But even with that said, Tom. Same can be said for both teams. I don't know what team's showing up on Saturday. Yeah, you know, and and we believed a lot in BYU and Slovis a little bit. Not maybe not to like run the conference or do anything big, but uh, still mind blowing that they could like fuck this up. Yes. TCU and K-State, uh, the game in Manhattan. K-State playing two quarterbacks. Uh, TCU may have actually finally found a quarterback with uh, with Chandler Morris out of the picture. Hoover's looked pretty decent and was off the charts last week. A rematch of the Big 12 championship in Manhattan and everything. I lean towards K-State, but Hoover intrigues me. He's already better than Chandler Morris. Uh, he might make this uh, a, a TCU win after all. Like, I, I just don't know enough about Hoover yet to feel confident about him winning in Manhattan in a night game here. Yeah, Manhattan, I've been there. It's not easy to to do what you need to do. And, uh, you know, I think K-State's starving for a win right now. And you mentioned Avery, Avery Johnson. Uh a hard hard press. Yes. It's a hard press for them to get the dub. Uh all right. Before we uh, wrap up the Big 12 breakdown this week, I do want to talk uh quick couple basketball notes uh on the Big 12 breakdown. And let's start off with uh Brett Yormark this week, Big 12 Media Day for basketball. Asked about expansion. We know about the Gonzaga rumors. And basically reiterated his talking point that he said for a year and a half. The Big 12 is constantly evaluating and they are open for business. Um, Said he wasn't going to talk about a specific 
member specific rumors and kind of just left it vague at that. Um, okay. I would, I would think Tom, like this Gonzaga thing should be figured out one way or the other. If, if our league, if the big 12 wants Gonzaga and they can get a deal done and Gonzaga is willing to take either no media share or a little bit, this can all be solved one way or the other here in the next couple of weeks. Like, I would lean towards no, that it's not going to happen. But I think that with the Big 12 having everything figured out of their other members, uh, we should we should know an answer one way or the other here pretty soon, I would think, just because, you know, we, we already know what the Big 12 did with their other schools. Like, they're, we're not trying to wait on anybody else, but uh, but put it, you know, here with, with Gonzaga. We, we need to know one way or the other. I mean, yeah, I think you're right, too. Um, now, I'm interested in what you think of, okay, so we're, you know, not waiting on Gonzaga, but I've also heard some, a little bit about Oregon State and Washington State trying to sneak on in, especially because Oregon State has played so well. And, I'm, I'm you know, I'm sure they're taking this momentum into something. Yeah, I, I didn't. I don't see them in the Big 12, Tom, unless ESPN forces them into the Big 12. Like, there is is one thing that's been talked about um, that I don't know for certain, but there is a rumor that if Oregon State and Washington State can hold the Pac-12 together, even as just a two-member conference, because of the contracts that they would still get two or three hundred million a year from the college football playoff, and it'd be split between those two schools. And if you're ESPN, if you're other power conferences, you don't want that to happen because you want that money. And so you might find yourself, if that holds up in court and everything, you might find yourself in a situation where ESPN forces the Big 12 or maybe in the ACC or whoever to take uh, Oregon State and Washington State off your hands. That way they don't steal basically $200 million away from these other leagues here. That's the only way I see them getting into the Big 12 is if it's like forced to out of a financial decision of some sorts that's in the best interest of the networks. I mean, yeah. I mean, I can see that. I mean, you know, that's a that's a good point. It'd be bizarre if it worked out that way. I hope it doesn't work out that way. Um, But we've seen Washington State and Oregon State already be aggressive when it comes to legal action that they've taken against the Pac-12, and so far they're holding up their own. Uh, So who knows? and, you know, the current Pac-12 members want to dissolve the league as a whole, and they're doing everything they can to stop it at the moment. So, a lot to play out there. We'll see what goes on. But I don't think there's going to be any more expansion for now. I think they're kind of waiting for the ACC to fold and then go from there. But uh, we don't call the shots when it comes to the TV dollars and all what that means, potentially. So I wish we did. Yeah. What about Gonzaga? I, I say, I would say, Tom, there's about a 70% chance 
that they don't join the league, 30% chance that they do. What would you put your percentage chances of Gonzaga entering the Big 12 at? I'd say 70-30 is probably pretty fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, AP college basketball poll, top 25 out. Let's uh, let's go over these Big 12 teams. Kansas, number one. Uh, Houston at seven. Those are your two Big 12 teams in the uh, top 10. Uh, and then you got Texas rolling in at 18. Baylor at 20. So four teams in the top 25, four in the top 20. Kansas and Houston, uh, those two in the top seven there. Uh, going to be Kansas and Houston, your favorites in the league this year. And going to be exciting to see those teams play head-to-head, not once but twice. And two of the best coaches ever. Like, that. that's another thing. Like, when we talk about expansion so far of the new members, the biggest thing that they have to offer right now, Tom, is Houston basketball because that is the one – program of the major programs between the the four schools that's ready to compete immediately like Houston is going to give Kansas everything they can handle when it comes to this Big 12 title in their first year in the league yeah I think they will and, and uh, you know as bad as Houston football has been I think that they are even more so ready to be to, to give the Big 12 fits yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, with that said, that uh, does it for our Big 12 breakdown this week. We'll uh, bring in Michelle Bontaine coming up in just a moment. More to come. Stay with us. Joining us now from KTWL, Tulsa Channel 8, also covering the MLS Next Circuit. It is none other than Michelle Montaigne, who's back <laughs> On the program once again, always a pleasure when uh, we get to introduce one of the best people around, terrific <laughs> talent, but an awesome person too. Michelle Montaigne joins us right now. Michelle, welcome back. How are you doing? Tyler, I wish everyone was this excited to talk to me <laughs> in my life. Um, I'm doing so well. I'm super happy to be back talking with you. I love doing this. Of course. Uh, and, and I can tell you, Michelle, uh, when I was at Red River uh, last week mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. saw everything unfold, I was starting mm-hmm. to think of all the Texas people I know, and I, I you were one of the one of the ones that came to mind. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I can't, I can't imagine what they're feeling at this moment. Like, walk me through because you were there, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Last Saturday, what was uh, going on through your head as that all unfolded there? So, to be painfully honest. <laughs> When I saw Bert make the field goal and I saw a minute 17 left on the clock, my heart sank. And oh. then when I watched Oklahoma drive down the field 75 yards and however many seconds it was, I felt like it was vintage Texas that I was watching. And and for context here, going into this game, I made a bet with one of the guys on my weekend crew who the the weekend weather guy there's the weekend anchor and there's me and I'm you know a Texas alum the weekend um weather guy is an OU alum I made a bet that's how confident I was that Texas was going to win this game that I said if Texas loses I will wear an OU jersey on air so I was sporting crimson and cream on air um but to answer your question 
I was really confident in this Texas defense going into the game. And for the most part, I mean, they did a pretty good job. I think Dylan Gabriel is better than what a lot of people nationally thought he would be um, or thought he was. And he put that on display in that game. But the Texas defense in this throughout this season has been pretty reliable. But when I watched them on that final drive, I felt like I was watching the Texas defense of old. And it was just a PTSD feeling that is so top of mind for Texas fans, I feel like, in the last decade that it honestly was just like, yeah, I would expect nothing less. And and you want to get away from that. Like Sark in his third year, you want to get away from people feeling like, oh, there they go again. This is just typical Texas nowadays. Like it's um to take a lead with that much time left, you'd think they'd be able to hold on to it. Um and and they weren't able to. So that's what I was feeling. And then, you know, you know, being in the Oklahoma media circuit, I received probably 30, 40 comments, remarks, like immediately following the game. And I am still just no matter where I go out and about in the community, I'm still getting like the horns down or the, hey, nice, nice day to be a Texas fan, isn't it? And it's it's going to continue, I'm sure, until the Big 12 championship. Well, <laughs> I, I say this with all due respect. I, I saw the photo you were wearing the OU jersey, and I'm like, wow, Michelle's never looked better. You know, that that's, that's great. You know, the, the, the Crimson, it looks great on you, Michelle. Um, Thank you. That, that was that was great. You were a good sport about it. I got to say, though, um, you're, you're one of the better Texas, Texas fans. Uh, you're, you're more reasonable, uh, clearly. Mm-hmm. I was at the Kansas-Texas game a week prior, and mm-hmm. I got to tell you, as, as much as I put up with of those Texas fans, I did not feel bad for most of them uh, mm-hmm. at all for what, what, what occurred during that Texas game. I had an old lady. I was taking a photo with a friend of mine, and we were going horns down. Uh, yeah. And an old lady came up to me and said how disrespectful uh, that I was being for putting up horns down. I'm like, this, mm-hmm. this is uncharted territory. Here. I, my, my response back was, you know what's disrespectful? Leaving the Big 12. <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah. Did she have a response for that? No, she walked away after that. Yes. Uh, for her place. But nonetheless, uh, I'm I'm glad uh, that you've moved on from there. And so with that said, from what you saw with that Oklahoma team, uh, mm-hmm. I heard a lot of UT people saying, oh, we'll meet you in the Big 12 championship game, better team loss and all that. How do you feel about Oklahoma? Your, your unbiased view, you've taken a few steps back. What do you think of that? Oklahoma team where they're at six wins and again that win against Texas this legit football team here I think that's exactly the word I would use for them is legitimate I think for their through their first five games the talk surrounding the team was well they hadn't played anyone and I mean that could still hold true it does hold some weight but I think the way in which they won the Texas game not only was another notch in the belt, right, in terms of getting another win. But the fact that they were down with just a minute 15 to go, minute 17 to go, you flip the tables. If Texas had been down with a minute to go, like there isn't a guarantee that they'd be able to pull out the win. So the fact that OU was able to do that, I think um, Dylan Gabriel is playing the best football of his career. And with him being so confident, so calm, Brent Venable's post game in that Red River game said he has been around thousands of players, you know, in his entire career. He's never met someone more calm, never met a quarterback more calm than Dylan Gabriel. And 
I think that just his demeanor, the way in which he's leading this team, how comfortable he is with Jeff Levy. And then you think about the areas of the team that were question marks, right? Like the wide receiver room, who was going to be that guy with Brain Willis leaving and Marvin Williams lead, leaving for the NFL. Well, it hasn't necessarily just been one guy that stepped up, but you see weapons, not like developing in front of your eyes. Nick Anderson, um, Jaleel Farouk, like these guys are threats on the outside. So you look at this offense and, you know, they're kind of doing running back by committee right now, but you look at the offense as a whole, they're putting up, they're averaging. I I don't know the number exactly, but before that Texas game, they were averaging like 40, 50 something points, third best scoring offense in the country going into the Texas game. Um, and then on defense, I think that's where people feel like, okay, we've given Brent Venables time to implement his system and we're starting to reap the rewards of that. Danny Stutzman is like, tried and true Brent Venables linebacker, you know, and just to, to watch his IQ development, the way he's able to read plays, to read quarterbacks, to jump routes, to just know where to be. Um, I think it was the Iowa State game. I looked up and like every time Iowa State, like an Iowa State play ended, Danny Sutsman was either touching the player, the ball, or like was somewhere near the, uh, the play. Um and so defensively, they they look so much better than they did one year ago. Um, so you put those two things together, and I think Oklahoma is legitimate. They just, because of who they've played so far, they haven't gotten the national spotlight until that Red River game. And, and when they got it, they delivered. Oh, yeah, certainly. And we're joined by Michelle Montaigne, looking back at – uh, that terrific Oklahoma-Texas game. Talk about the Sooners right now. More to come on uh, Oklahoma State in a moment. Uh, now we look at where Oklahoma is. Coming off the bye week, you have the win against Texas. What what I wonder going forward is, is that letdown coming up next? Is this going to get to their heads of some sorts? Because you you, you look at it, that's an emotional win. That's a big deal. You've had everybody telling you, how good it is the last week. I mean, now going forward, the schedule looks manageable for the Sooners here, but could they potentially overlook somebody? What what would be your uh your your idea, Michelle, going forward here? Do you think Oklahoma can can play like they did against Texas every week here going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that if you look at the caliber of teams that they're playing in the remainder of their schedules in the big 12 you have ucf byu west virginia teams that i don't think are threats in really many in many ways just if you look at the roster if you look at schemes um i think that ou if they play even remotely close to what they're capable of those you can check off as wins the kansas game i think could pose some threats just because of look if you look at what Kansas did against Oklahoma State this last weekend, Jason Bean, backup quarterback, threw for over 400 yards. You know, he was incredible when they limited the run game. And so um, I think that's an area where oh, you could potentially be exposed, but I don't necessarily think it's a loss by any stretch. Um, TCU, I think we're still trying to figure them out, right? Like they've had some early losses. They've had some big blowout wins. Um, I think – Again, if OU plays up to their standard, TCU is is probably a win. The one that kind of gives me a little bit of, um, you know, reservation, I guess, is just 
the Bedlam game because of all that's surrounding it, not necessarily, um, you know, on the field, but off of it. And so, like, could Oklahoma go undefeated through their next six games? Absolutely. But could they maybe drop one in maybe a close overtime game or, um, you know, when, say, something were to happen, I hope not, like to Dylan Gabriel or whatnot. Right. Um, I think there could maybe be one potential flop. Yeah, yeah, it could happen. Uh, one thing I've seen from this Oklahoma team that uh, has impressed me, Michelle, is that they are such a different identity physically than what we saw the Lincoln-Riley era of what we've seen year two under Brent Venables, and in particular that defense here. This is not the the Oklahoma team that you and I grew up watching week in and week out. This is totally different of what we're seeing right now. I'm I'm shocked when I see an OU team each week so far this year that's led by their defense. It's not necessarily the uh, offensive powerhouse we're used to seeing. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's amazing timing that you bring that up, especially considering what we just watched happen to USC. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think that when you look at the Texas OU game, the one thing that really stands out to me is the physicality up front between both sides between both teams on both sides of the ball, um, I think the what they have been able to do in practice and really I would say in all the development coming up to this season, um, I think it's Jerry Schmidt who is their um, strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. The, the guys, not only that they had that they've developed, um, but the guys that they've been able to bring in, they do have some young guys who see playing time. Um, and that goes back to – the types of guys Brent Venables is trying to recruit um, just like physically, staturally, they're bigger. They are coming from backgrounds that expect that type of physicality out of them. Um, but to see it on the field, it it, it is a stark difference, um, especially on that defensive front this season than, of course, last season, but especially the seasons past where Lincoln Riley was leading the charge and really where you had Alex Grinch putting an Alex Grinch defense out there. Tell me about uh, the Pokes. Uh, this is a very confusing team to me. I know they're playing better <laughs> as of late uh, with the mm -hmm. wins bad against Kansas and Kansas State. Saw it firsthand myself last week, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, but with that said, are you buying in? Have they figured it out? Do you think this team's turned a corner here? Um, you know, I've talked about that a lot this week. I, I think they've turned a corner. Yes, because they have a quarterback or they've decided on one. Right. Um, I think they've turned a corner in some of the adjustments that they've been able to make in game. And what I mean by that is like, if you look closely at that Kansas game, Colin Oliver was the difference maker there towards the end of the game. And what they did was they started putting him in space where he could just get after the quarterback. And towards the beginning of that game, they weren't having him play that type of role. So Jason Bean was staying in the, you know, standing in the pocket, had all day to throw um, to Skinner and other guys. And that's how they got, you know, over 400 yards through the air. But I think when you have a brand new defensive coordinator for the third time in a row, um, there are going to be growing pains in terms of what they want to run schematically, what they want to run with the personnel that they have. The thing about Oklahoma State's defense is they have talented guys. Like they have athletes um, scattered throughout. 
You see that in some of their young guys like Cameron Epps. You see that in guys like Colin Oliver, Nick Martin. Um, but I think schematically they're still they've been still trying to put that together, right? Like any loss to South Alabama is a good football team, but you know, you you also lose to Iowa State those games back to back. You know, they've got to figure something out. So I think defensively they're still working on that. Offensively, I agree with you. I'm still a little confused. They have some weapons. Obviously, Ollie Gordon with his career historic day um, against Kansas was kind of a tick on the box in terms of, okay, like we have a running back we can use. Um, now that you know Alan Bowman's going to be your guys, okay, how do we build up this offensive scheme to best work for Alan Bowman? And then two, how do you get guys like Brendan Presley and some of these other threats on the outside involved in a more consistent manner? I mean, that's one thing that worked for them against Kansas State and Kansas is that their guys, their playmakers made plays, right? right. Um, do I think that this is – a turning of the corner. I mean, you look at OU schedule, look at Oklahoma State schedule. They have one of the easiest in the Big 12, the easiest in the Big 12. Um, so in terms of how many wins they can rack up, the fact that they beat Kansas, the fact that they beat Kansas State, they've shown they can beat anyone left on their schedule except for OU. Will they do it? Totally different question. <laughs> well, and, you know, if Texas slips up again, you know, in, and I don't expect them to, but if they do, then this whole thing, the floodgates open of possibilities for who ends up in Arlington here. The expectation is still OU Texas to meet again, but for whatever mm -hmm. reason, if something happens there, does Oklahoma State enter the picture? Does, uh, does Kansas State possibly get back in Kansas, whatever it may be? I mean, uh, we're one win away, or one loss rather, from – Oklahoma State and others being right back at the table potentially here. Yeah, I've talked with just, you know, a ton of people in sports, not in sports, about the Big 12 as a whole right now. And the leading kind of thought, right, is, okay, there's OU in Texas and then there's everybody else. But to your exact point, there could be a weekend where, you know, I'm not going to say Houston, but where a team maybe beats Texas by a point late, right? And that's it, a win and a loss doesn't matter if it's by one point or 20. Right. So to get to Arlington, what matters is the wins and losses. And you look at the standings right now, you know who's right behind Oklahoma? Iowa State. So I, I think in terms of the Big 12, yes, it's a wide open picture right now. Texas has to take care of business, especially like I think what the TCU game could be a potential upset, you know, Texas Tech. Um, but if, if the top teams take care of business the way that they should, then I think, yeah, we know who's going to be in Arlington. If there is kind of that misstep or miscue, um, I would say my my best bets right now are either, I think, yeah, Kansas State, it could be Oklahoma State. And if Iowa State keeps winning, I guess we got to consider the Cyclones, you know? So let me ask you this then, uh, as the level-headed Texas fan you are, unlike mm. uh, your, your fellow fans out there, uh, mm. what is your confidence level that Texas is back in Arlington, that they don't have that infamous slip-up of some sorts of vintage, vintage Texas here? You notice the deep breath I just took there? Um, <laughs> yeah, <not at> all. <laughs> this is the thing. I think if you look at their remaining schedule – I said TCU or Texas Tech might give me some pause. Um, I I am not ready to say that they've given me 
X amount of confidence. Like look back at the Wyoming game. They were tied yeah. at 10 until the fourth quarter, right? Um, they didn't play good twice either. Correct. So, but that was, you know, first game of the season. I think there were, you know, and Wyoming was early still. I think what, how I feel about them is that look at their roster. Look at what they've been able to do against teams like Alabama. This team should be able to beat anyone left on their schedule. But I don't, if you ask me for a confidence level, I'd say I'm maybe 70% confident that Texas could win out. And that might be generous um, just because, I mean, truly, like I was back in my first year in school was a decade ago. And that was Mac Brown's last season. And the the life I have lived experiencing Texas football over the last decade has been one of inconsistency, right? Like we get the big Notre Dame win in Austin and Charlie Strong's um, season opener. And then we go on to have a losing season again. Yeah, you know, it's like the high. Joe Tash told everybody Texas was back. And yeah. Yeah. So um, I think as a level-headed Texas fan, I would say I'm not even three quarters of the way confident they could do it. But am I hopeful? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michelle Montaigne joining us uh, here on the Joe's Sport this week. Uh, Michelle, let's talk some hoops now. Uh, I got to tell you. I am the most excited I've been for an NBA season in quite some time. And uh-huh. I'm sure you feel the same way as a Spurs fan and getting to cover mm-hmm. the Thunder. I mean, just looking at the league as a whole, there's so much excitement. But then mm-hmm. here with, you know, the Thunder, with what they're doing, their youth movement, uh, you know, same thing can be said for the Spurs and others here. I mean, uh, just watching these guys from the beginning, really, as fans mm-hmm. here, I mean, I- I'm I'm just – so excited for to be along for the journey of what's ahead for the Thunder. And I'm sure you're saying both there with, uh, with Wimby and San Antonio there. Yeah, I actually, um, being here in Oklahoma, I feel like I watched more Thunder games last season than I did Spurs games. And that was probably for multiple reasons <laughs> because the Thunder were so fun to watch. Um, and because the Spurs were obviously trying to do what they eventually were able to do in getting Wemby. Um, but I am so excited for this Thunder season because with Shea leading the way, coming off his first All-Star season, with Josh Giddy having another year of development, he, I think he's still 20. I think he's supposed to turn 21, whatever. I don't know if he's legally able to drink not, <laughs> drink or yet not. Drink or not yet. Um, you know, you have... Lou Dort, the three and D guy who's shown he can even do a little bit more than that. Jalen Williams with his TikToks, Chet's coming back. You know, I think you look at the starting five for this Thunder team, and I would I would put them up against a lot of starting lineups in this league to be able to pull off an upset on any given night. Um, and, and I think eventually throughout the season, it's not even going to be considered an upset anymore. They're at the point where development-wise, they've been able to show they can hang with guys like the Boston Celtics, right? The powerhouses of the East and even, you know, the big dogs of the West. And um, I think eventually throughout this season, we're going to see that change go from, oh, we're expecting this young core to, you know, just try their best to keep up. And then we're going to see it shift to be like, no, okay, Shea is leading this group of guys who can put up points and who can defend well. I think that's what we saw um, last season kind of develop in front of our eyes was obviously Shea was the go-to guy. Um, But then you saw Jalen Williams and Lou Dort be effective on the defensive end end of the floor. And together you put that, you know, you put that combination together and, 
there's a lot of potential for this Thunder team. And the fact that they were kind of ahead of schedule last season with their 40-win season, I think that this year it's like, all right, how much further can they go up considering how fast they transitioned last year? Yeah, I mean, one discussion I have with my buddies all the time, they say, you know, Thunder got all these picks. You need to make a trade, go bring them oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and I beg to differ. I'm like, eventually that day will come. But right now they're ahead of schedule. These guys – are still learning and growing together. I mean, we haven't even seen Chet play in a regular season game yet. I mean, mm-hmm. time, granted, you know, it's fluid, but uh, time's on their side, at, at least at the moment of figuring this out as a, as a whole right now. And I think the NBA is such an all-star driven league, right? Like more so than any other major league sport in America. It's like, you've got to have the guy. You've got to have... Steph or you got to have LeBron or Jimmy Butler or you know Katie and I think the fact that the Thunder don't have that guy on a nationally recognized stage people think and like it can't work but I think what Sam Presti's doing is is what he's always done is put together these incredible groups of people who are able to play together a team sport what a concept um and I think, yeah, it's just going to be a matter of watching these young guys kind of evolve and grow and give them a couple of years and see if they can continue on kind of that trajectory I was talking about. Um, I, I'm right there with you, Tyler. I don't think that right now is the time to go all in. Like if they say make it, I don't know, a little bit further this postseason in 2023, what will be 2024. And then, you know, we start the 2024 season and you're thinking, okay, maybe there's one real significant need, whether that's a a playmaker, whether that's a shooter, whether that's just like a a Drew Holiday, right, Um, on defense. You know, is there a specific need that we need to fill and let's go all in to fill that one role? Um, If it gets to that point, then I'm sure, you know, he's not afraid to pull the plug. But for now, I don't think that hole is is there. So, yeah, I agree. Let's see what Shaq can do. (laughs) Well, and it's an interesting time in the NBA right now, Michelle, because – you know, I look back five years ago, and for every young team, that Warriors dynasty was in the mm-hmm. way. Like, you know, you talk about stunting growth and reaching full potential. Like, didn't matter. You couldn't compete with the Warriors. Now, with as much parity as we're seeing in the NBA right now, like, no, no disrespect to the Denver Nuggets. They were impressive what they did. But I'm not mm. sitting here fearing that the Nuggets are going to turn into this dynasty for the next decade of some sorts. Like, I don't see that being a thing that halts the Thunder from achieving what they want to do, or even teams like San Antonio with where they want to go with Wimby and you know some of these other young teams across the league here. There's there's more parity right now than we've seen, I think, in quite some time. So much parity compared to years past. Um, and I think it's funny, too. You look at a team like the Lakers, right? And LeBron gets all the attention. But who came up? huge for the Lakers in the playoffs Austin Reeves oh yeah um but like these unsigned like younger guys um who who aren't the faces of franchises yet and so you have guys who aren't you know the NBA all-star in terms of either pay or just like recognition but they're the ones producing night in and night out and basically that's the entire Thunder roster unless you live in Oklahoma City and you love Jalen and J-Dub and you know, Jay will and all the Jalen's, um, you know, unless you know, these guys and you really follow them, I think 
there's there's more talent in names that are unknown right now in the NBA. Um, and so that's what's kind of creating all of this parody. And it's honestly just making for really fun atmospheres, really fun games and um and a lot more, you know, unexpected outcomes night in and night out. Guys like Alex Caruso have become household names in today's NBA. You know, I mean, right. it's, it's a different game. Uh, I got to ask you, uh, we'll get, talk a little soccer here at this point. Uh, what's uh, what's going on with uh, this, the the World Cup locations for 2026? I know that the sites are, are set, but we're still trying to figure out who's hosting the final, right? And then down to a couple locations at this point. Yeah, honestly, um I've been so in the weeds in terms of MLS next pro soccer that my World Cup, you know, I'm like, oh, 2026, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, no, I they I think are still trying to figure out where the final is going to be played. And the fact that they're doing this um kind of multi-country hosting um is I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how it goes. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of the final location, they're still trying to figure that out. And I mean, hopefully we know sooner rather than later. Yeah, I'd love to see uh, the final here in Dallas. Uh, that'd be great. Get it at <laughs> yeah, not a far drive. Feel the same way, too. Um, and then uh, the MLS Cup playoffs are coming up here soon, too, right? Yeah, they are. Um, it's interesting how honestly how fast these seasons go by but um yeah mls playoffs are coming the actual the minor league mls um league that i cover uh the final is actually this coming weekend um so that's where like my head has been um but yeah the mls audi playoffs are coming and um i think you know there was such a surge, right, when Messi came in and, and it was like, oh, people care about MLS this season. It's all Messi-driven. Soccer has been, like, on the incline um, in the past, I don't know, I would say five years specifically. And we've seen that even just with, like, the broadcast rights that the teams have gotten and the exposure that the league has gotten and really the intentionality that Don Garber has driven through his efforts as commissioner. And so, you know, soccer was already on the rise. You add someone like Messi and it's like there's so much more of a buzz around Major League Soccer right now um, that I think these playoffs are set to be really fun, just fun to watch. The talent level's getting better, um, you know, the the – the names people care about more. Um, so yeah, it should be, it should be really fun. Just to give people perspective, uh, obviously Messi was a big deal for name recognition, but correct me if I'm wrong here, Michelle, like that team, uh, you know, the, uh, the Miami club was not that good before he showed up and things turned around pretty quick, didn't they? Very. I mean, the guy literally just won game after game after game for them. So um, like game winning goals, like the difference was Lionel Messi. Um, yeah. And he took them all the way to, um, the, ah, uh, the, one of the league, uh, league championship finals, um, where they ultimately lost Houston. But the fact that they made it that far was, was squarely because of what was put on Lionel Messi's shoulders and because he delivered. And um, 
Yeah, you talk about the name recognition, but it wasn't just that. Like, he delivered on the pitch. And it was incredible to see how literally the entire city of Miami just, you know, not revolted, but, you know, opposite of revolted, joined in around him, embraced him. Um, Yeah, it was awesome to watch. Now, I see the jersey behind you. Michelle, how often Mm -hmm. are you on the pitch? Who's your player comp? (laughs) I don't have one. Uh, How often am I on the pitch? I did. I did practice uh, some of my free kicks against the. I think he's on the youth national team, like the seventeen and under club, Adam Boudry. Uh, I did get to practice some kicks from the spot and some free kicks off of him. Okay. Um, and that's the extent of what time I've spent on the pitch in the last six months. <laughs> so not much. It would be embarrassing. Uh, to see, to count how many minutes I've spent on a soccer pitch playing. I'm not retiring anytime soon, uh, but we love the the jersey. It's a nice touch in the background. So uh, yeah, thank you, thank you, uh, Michelle. We're just about out of time. Uh, you mentioned that you have the uh, MLS Pro Next uh, Championship coming up this weekend. Tell me about that and where where people can follow along. I mean, you you guys got some terrific talent in that league that's on the rise up to MLS here. Yeah, um, it's actually really interesting because you have Austin FC2, which is Austin FC's, you know, feeder team. And then you have Columbus Crew 2 hosting. They actually won the cup last year. So they're trying to defend their title, which is kind of insane considering everything that's gone on this season. Um, they had some peaks and they had some valleys and they finished as the three seed and they knocked off the, the best team in the, their conference for the entire season um, in the conference semis. So um, it's been a crazy journey for the defending champs. It's been a crazier journey for Austin who finished as a four seed. They were on like a five game non-winning streak to end the season. And then they've gone on to win three straight through the playoffs in the Western conference. They make it to the final. And I think what's so interesting is that you have Columbus and Austin. If you followed along in soccer at all, that is a, an interesting rivalry, which no one will call a rivalry, you know, within the club walls because of what's gone on with the owner. And then the, the initial, desire to move Columbus to Austin, the Columbus club to Austin that didn't come through. So now you have the current Austin FC owner, um, you know, with his team, Anthony um, Precourt, they're in Austin and his, his development side is not going to play crew two or cruise development side. It's just, there are a lot of storylines going into this one um, to answer your question as to where you can find it. It's, it's also on MLS season pass on Apple TV. So if you have any subscription, um, to any MLS games. It's all in the same family. Um, you can watch on Apple TV. I will be on the sidelines for that game along with Anil um, or Jaleel Anibaba. I think is how you pronounce it. He's a former player for Nashville SC and he's awesome. Um, so we'll be there pitch side and it's going to be, I think this is going to be a really great game. You have the defending chance taking on a team that, you know, no one really thought could make it this far. So it'll be cool. That'd be great. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it McConaughey involved in that uh, Austin FC franchise? He is. He's. I mean, the guy is needs to run for mayor of Austin. Um, just kidding. He has way too many things going on. But what he's the minister of culture, I believe, is his title. Um, okay. 
from Longhorn aficionados. And I think Austin FC aficionados would, would also give him that title. Yeah. He comes to the games, beats on the drum, gets people going. <laughs> He's awesome. Between, between that and then UT, how are you and McConaughey like not best friends by now? And the fact that we have the same initials. I, I mean, yeah, probably because he has, um, you know, way more important people in his life, um, in his surroundings than me. But one day, hopefully I can get a picture with him. That that would be sufficient for me. I I can admire him from afar. <laughs> Did kind of betray your your Longhorns of University of Colorado a couple weeks ago. Uh, he was at that. Yeah. What's that about? I don't know what he was thinking. You Maybe. know, he's a worldly man. He's a yeah. worldly guy. All right, all right. Okay. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Michelle, uh, plug your social media and all that stuff. You can follow you and see what you're doing there in, in, in Tulsa as well. Yeah, on Instagram, it's just at Michelle Montaigne. On Twitter, it should be at Michelle Montaigne, but the character limit cuts me off one letter short. So it's just at M-I-C-H, Mitch Montaigne. Um, On TikTok, Michelle Montaigne. Anything else, it should just be at Michelle Montaigne. And uh, you go to TikTok, and she's interviewing uh, professional golfers and everything, too. Uh, (laughs) That's fun. (laughs) You got to cover all the sports, Tyler. You know. Of course. Absolutely. (laughs) Yo, thanks for the time. Uh, as always, great to have you back on. We've been trying to do this for a while, but you know, Michelle, no. you know, she wasn't always available. But you know, we're glad we made it happen. Uh, thanks again. We'll talk it down the line, Michelle. Tyler, thank you. Time for Coach Bo's football fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every week, wherever you listen to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, how are we doing? We're doing pretty good, Tyler. How are you doing today, buddy? Very well. I'm very well. What's going on at OAG this week? Man, we are uh, – this is the time of year where we just came out of our, like, busiest three weeks of the year. And so now we're getting ready to where, like, we know what's going to happen in the next couple of months where lots of people are going to be saying, hey, let's wait till the first of the year to do things. So I've been telling people, look, if you've changed jobs in the last year or you've, you know, you've got things going on and things that you want to make some changes in your time, this is actually the best time to do it between now and the end of the year. You're going to get more time with us. You're going to get more time with me. And it's the best time to make these decisions because we frankly can just do more for you right now. And it's, it's a great time to get started. We want to be your partner, OAGcast.com, accountadvisorgroup.com for more information. Uh, Bo, the Pick'em slate this week, we have, uh, I would say, a really good slate of games uh, on tap, especially on the college side of things. Uh, they include number seven, Penn State, number three, Ohio State, Ohio State, uh, four-and-a-half-point uh, favorite. Number 16, Duke taking on number four, Florida State, Florida State favored by 14 and a half. Number 17, Tennessee, taking on number 11, Alabama. Bama favored by nine. Number 14, Utah. And number 18, USC. USC favored by seven. Oklahoma State and West Virginia. West Virginia favored by three and a half. Dolphins and Eagles. Eagles favored two and a half. Lions and Ravens. Ravens favored by three. Steelers and Rams. Rams favored by three. Falcons and Bucks. Bucks favored two and a half. Chargers and Chiefs. Chiefs favored by five and a half. And the standings going into this week, 
Uh, I'm in first place at 40, 29, and 1. You and Tom are tied for third at 35, 34, and 1. So I got a five-game cushion, and, Bo, I'm coming off an eight and two weeks. So uh, I hope you enjoy that uh, that rear-view mirror view back there. Well, you get to pick the games. That always helps. At least we're not I doing North Carolina. Just... Five best college and NFL games every week. We don't pick the five best college. Why are we picking Oklahoma State, West Virginia then? That's the fifth best game. No, that's a terrible game. They're both two terrible teams. <laughs> terrible teams. You tell me any insight into Oklahoma State, West Virginia. That's what we'll get to. We'll get to that here. In just I got no fucking insight in that game. All right. Well, let's get started. I wouldn't play. I wouldn't play a lot of games in this 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 slate. I'll say that. Yeah, because you can't win because you you're barely above five hundred. You know. Yeah. I, I I bet I bet accordingly to what I know and I know how to bet it well. So let's start off with uh, number seven Penn State, number three Ohio State. Ohio State favored by four and a half. What are you thinking here, Bo? I this is a game I would not play myself. Um, the top, the best game of the week, and you're not even going to play because I, this is a game I, I can't. I have a good feel for how this game's going to go at all. I, I look when I play games, my but when I play games, I play the games I have a good feel for. Yeah, yeah, I have no feel for this at all, and I'll tell you why. Um, I don't know who Ohio State is right now. I, I, I tend to think Ohio State's got a more talented team. They got maybe got a better coach, but Penn State covers. They cover almost every week. They're six zero and one. I'm taking Penn State in the points because I really don't have a clue about this game at all. I'm just taking because Penn State's undefeated against the spread this year. And I don't know how good Ohio State really is. There's too many times where they've gotten a little bit ahead and teams have come back on them late and made games closer than they should be with the, with the number. And I do think Ohio is going to win the game. Being at home, it'll help. They do have a better team. Look at what's happened this season with Marvin Harrison Jr. The guy who's probably the second best player in college football has not had a good season. You know, normally you would say, uh, you know, he's a great player. Why does he play great? It They're just not a very good team. They're not as good as they should be as Ohio State right now. I don't disagree with anything you just said. But what I would add is, Bo, I think we've seen a different Ohio State team since the win against Notre Dame. I think that yeah. they have improved. Kyle McCord is coming along. I'm going with Ohio State to win and take the points at four and a half at home in that game. Number 16, Duke. Number four, Florida State. Florida State favored by 14 and a half at home. Bo, what do we think about this matchup here? Uh, both teams, to their credit, having the best seasons that both schools have had in a long time. Yeah. Um, is Duke? What's the situation with Duke's quarterback? Riley Leonard, I believe he's playing. Okay. Uh, let me give it a quick Before look. I make a pick, I want to know that because I have not looked into that yet. Uh, let's see. The update from CBS Sports is he could return day to day in his recovery from a high ankle sprain. Aren't we all? Okay. Um, I'll take Duke plus 14 and a half. If, if he plays, they get they can stay within two touchdowns of Florida State. Uh, Florida State's really good. I will say this: a little, I get a little better. Florida State's one of the top five teams in the country. They are very, very good. They are playoff bound. I expect Florida State to win out. I do. 
but maybe one of the top four teams in the, in the seeds in the in the, in the, in the playoff. Um, if I had to rank them, I'd probably rank them three or four right now. Duke is good enough to stay within two touchdowns. They have the quarterback, then they're good enough to stay within the, in the two touchdowns. If not, if he's not playing, Florida State rolls. But I'll take Duke. Again, that's my, my thinking there. That's a lot of points. Uh, and Florida State has had games this year where they haven't necessarily done a good job of covering. I think about that Boston College game, the Clemson game. Uh, I'm with you. I like Duke to cover, but I do like Florida State to win. I would be surprised if Florida State lost this game. Number 17, Tennessee. Number 11, Alabama. Uh, just win the national media. I was listening to Fine Bob and Jordan Rogers last week talk about how Alabama had turned a corner, that Milrow was figuring it out, and then they barely beat Arkansas last week. So much for that. They're favored by nine here. Bo, Tennessee coming off a win against AM last week. Alabama squeaks by a bad Arkansas team. What do you think about Bama favored by nine at home? I like Bama at home. The last week's game was at Arkansas. I was watching that game, and that took a nap. It was it was 21-7 when it took a nap. And it was like late in the second quarter. I woke up, it was the fourth quarter, and it was 24-21. I went, what the fuck is going on? I also thought that Alabama had turned the corner. Um, the issue there is the offense. It is the play calling of the offense. It is the design of the offense. It is everything they're doing offensively. Nothing is working. Um, horrible, horrible on the offensive side. But them will be at home. That'll help. Nine's not ten. I'll take Bama and lay the nine. Um, I think best case scenario, Bama wins this game by a touchdown. I don't see any more. Uh, I do think that they win, but I don't think this is a pretty game. And uh, Tennessee, better than I think what they're giving credit for. Milton, I think, is better than what most people think, too. I'll go Tennessee to cover, but I like Alabama to win on that one. Uh, let's go to number 14, Utah, number 18, USC. USC favored by seven here. Bo, we'll talk more about USC coming up later, but going to be very interesting to see how this USC team responds here after getting hit in the mouth and now being a seven-point favorite at home. Yeah, so this was the game that – so preseason, I looked at the USC schedule and I said the two games I was most worried about were Washington and Utah. Uh, Utah has not played as well. They've been missing the quarterback all season. Um, USC laid a dud at Notre Dame. I mean, they were awful in that game, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, which has been the opposite of what they've done all season. I tend to think USC is going to get off the schneid here. I think seven's about right. I'm going to take USC here, but USC needs this win because they got two losses coming in a couple weeks. So give me USC here. I think that Utah can do enough to to hang. Uh, I think seven is a, a very fair number. Um, I like I like USC to win because Utah still doesn't feel right without Cam Rising, but I can't trust that USC defense to cover something that they've struggled with doing all year. I'm going to go with uh, with Utah to cover that margin uh, as far as that goes. One more college game, and I will break this one down. Uh, Oklahoma State and West Virginia. 
Bo, it's interesting. Look at this matchup. Oklahoma State has played a lot better football as of late. They found a quarterback in Alan Bowman, who's uh, played very solid the last couple of weeks. The run game has really figured out with Ollie Gordon leading the way for the Cowboys. Meanwhile, for West Virginia, you have a team that, you know, lost a close one against Houston. Hail Mary pass that was just very unlucky. And you lost to a good Penn State team. But other than that, it's played some good football, better than we expected. Neil Brown's bunch. A win against Pitt, win against Tech, TCU, and company. Uh, Green, their quarterback, has played solid. Donaldson, the running back, has rushed the ball well. To me, this is a pretty even matchup here. And and I, I lean towards West Virginia to win and cover that three-and-a-half-point margin, but I don't say so with a lot of confidence. I think these teams are pretty close. I'll go with the Mountaineers. How about you, Bo? Okay. Um, I have a little bit of a feel for this game. Um, Oklahoma State has played better the last couple of weeks. I think what happened last week to West Virginia was just demoralizing, you know, losing them the last play the way they did. Um, it's at home. You figure West Virginia's going to play better at home. It's an afternoon game. It's not too early. But Oklahoma State has played better. Now, what scares me on Oklahoma State being like better the last two weeks and the two wins against KUK State, both those games were at home. Right. Now they go on to West Virginia. If this were an 11 a.m. game or a night game, I think I would take West Virginia. But I'm going to take Okie State here plus the three and a half. If I were going to go the other way, I'd buy that half point off. And i feel better at three. But I'm going to take Okie State in the points here. I think three and a half saves you from the last-minute touchdown or the last-minute field goal, something like that. Tend to think this game is going to be really close. I think you were spot on with a lot of that. So, again, close game. Give me the points. We'll see what happens. All right. So, through the college games, we've only agreed on one. So, this will be interesting. To the NFL, I think you and I are going to agree on this, actually. Dolphins and Eagles. Eagles favored by two and a half at home. Sunday night football coming off that loss against the Jets. These two teams are really good, Bo. I, I like like them a lot. Uh, like the offense of the Dolphins. The Eagles look like a complete football team. I know last week was a bit of a disappointment, um, but I don't see the Eagles losing two straight. Two and a half here at home. Uh, Bo, it's got to be the Eagles here, right? I'm also on the Eagles. Now, I'm on the Eagles. I think the Miami Dolphins are the best team in the NFL. Going to Philly is going to be tough, but the Eagles need this game. They need this game because they have a gauntlet ahead of them, and they're going to have to get games like this. They're going to need this one. I think the Eagles are going to turn the ship a little bit this week. I think we'll see Jalen Hurts make a little less mistakes, try a little try a little less hard, if you know what I mean, like try not to put himself in bad situations. Um. I also think that the Dolphins' defense isn't as good as what the, the Eagles dealt with last week with the Jets. So, high-scoring game. I think in the end, Philly wins. They keep it within three. I'm going to take Philly. Oh, two and a half is okay. Three, three and a half be too much. I'll go Philly here. Lions and Ravens. Ravens favored by three at home. Coming off a win in London last week against Tennessee where – they dominated for th three quarters in that game. Uh, the Lions here have had a phenomenal season. Only one loss to this point, that being an, an, an overtime loss to the Seattle Seahawks. 
Paul, what do we think about this matchup? This this is a really good game here with okay. uh, Baltimore favored by three. And I was looking at the little bit of the weather on this. I was intrigued by this. This is the game that intrigues me the most this week. And this is actually one of my four that I'm actually going to bet this week. Wrong team's the favorite here. The Detroit Lions are better than everyone thinks they are. The Detroit Lions are going to end up, they're going to win this game first off. You're going to beat Baltimore in Baltimore. Um, the offense for the Ravens is one-dimensional. The Lions play very well against the run. I suspect they're going to keep Lamar in front of them. I don't suspect a big game from Lamar Jackson. From there, I like what the Lions are doing, like everything about what they're doing right now. I'm taking the Lions. We'll play this game. I'll take the plus three, but I like them on the money line. And I'm going to say this also. I'm on the Detroit Lions having the number one seed in the NFC when it's all said and done after week 17. Well, to that point, that division's weak. That's going to be a big advantage they have compared to uh, San Francisco and Philly. The schedule is the reason. The schedule is the reason. What San Francisco and Philly have that Detroit doesn't. This is the last game of the season of any team currently in first place at Detroit place. This is the only first place team Detroit plays rest of the season. They beat the Chiefs earlier in the year. That wasn't their big game. I like Detroit. I'm on, I'm on I'm on team Dan Campbell. I like what they're doing. It's a 14-15 win team. I really think so. And they're gonna have they're gonna show it by winning this game. You know, Lamar hasn't played great this year. Hasn't played bad, but he hasn't played great. He's just been okay um, so far at this point in the season. I'm still waiting for that Lamar, Lamarvelous moment of some sorts. I think this could be the week it 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 happens. They're at home, coming off that win, looking to build some momentum. Uh, they're getting healthier too. You know, this is the healthiest they've been in quite some time, uh, which is something we haven't talked about with the Baltimore Ravens. Zay Flowers has been incredible. Mark Andrews is good. OBJ started to get into his own last week. Uh, Got to find ways to get Rashad Bateman more involved. Nelson Aguilar has been really good too. I like the Ravens to win and cover three, but I'm not very confident. And, and you and I have been high on the Detroit Lions for a long time. This is not – for me, as much about Detroit as it is more about uh, Baltimore as, as far as this goes. Watch the weather conditions that day. That's another big piece of this. Yeah, the weather's not going to be great. It could be some rain. It's going to be a windy day. That's going to move the ball around. I slightly disagree with something you said on Lamar Jackson. He hasn't had the spectacular games. But he has played well this season. He's played very well, I think. I didn't say he hasn't played no, well. I, said he well, hasn't I mean, played I well. think he's played. I think he's the main reason they're four and two. I think those four wins are a direct reflection of his play. And I, I so much so that we were just recording my podcast, and I said I have him in my top five for the MVP right now. I have him five, but yeah. I have him top five. Yeah. I, I, he, he has not had the spectacular two hundred fifty yards throwing in a hundred yards rushing game. Right. But he's done enough in games that they've won. His best game was that Browns game where he had two touchdowns uh, yes. on the ground and through the air. And they're the only team that's played well at, in Cleveland all year. Yeah. Um. All right. So I'm going to Baltimore. You got Detroit Steelers and Rams Rams favored by three at home. Bo, uh, 
that Steelers offensive line is so bad. Aaron Donald could have a field day here with this one. Yeah, this game being in L.A., I mean, like, I don't know how it's only three, to be honest. The Steelers are a bad team right now. Um, I don't think they're very good at all. I, the quarterback play of Kenny Pickett's been been beyond bad. You know, they, they are coming off a bye. I get that. And they had the game two weeks ago against the Ravens. But they haven't been good in any game yet. Yeah. They've beaten two bad teams. And they slugged it out with the Ravens. But they got walloped by the 49ers. And they got walloped by the Texans. I hope they're getting healthy, but honestly, I don't see this happening. I'm all over the Rams in this game. Yeah, I like the Rams too. All right. Uh, next on the uh, docket here, Falcons and Bucks. Bucks favored by two and a half at home. Uh, clearly the two best teams, I think, in this division. I-, I like them better than I do the Saints, and we know about Carolina, their situation. Bucks favored by two and a half. Bo, what do you think about this? I'll take the best team in the NFC South, even though the record doesn't reflect it. That's the Atlanta Falcons. I I'm on the Atlanta Falcons. I, I I wasn't real happy how they played against the Commanders last week. They they had a chance late in the fourth quarter to get back in that game, and they really they really stubbed their toe pretty big. But I'm not convinced the Bucks can beat anybody. I don't think the Bucks are a very good team at all. It, it's that whole division's bad. The if the if the New Orleans Saints had a quarterback and a, and a capable coach, they'd be the best team by far in that division because they're the best defense. But Atlanta gets a little better quarterback play. They're the best team. The run game from Atlanta is where it's at. What yeah. they're doing there, B. John Robbins has been great. I'm taking I mean, they might. Points. No, no, no stretch. The Falcons might have the best rushing attack in the league. They might. That he he might be the best running back right now. And it's not just about Bijan. Like, they got multiple good backs. Yeah, and their offensive line plays really well. I think the 49ers are the best run attack just because of how they play. But, Dan, don't sleep with this Atlanta Falcons. When you look at the schedule coming down the road, that's what makes me think they're going to win the division. Because after this week, they really don't have hard games on the schedule. They got to play the Jets, who's a good defense. But they'll be the favorite in every game go after this after this week, moving forward, except yeah. for that Jets game. Give me Atlanta in this case. To quote Coach Bo, quarterback play matters. Better quarterback wins this game. Baker Mayfield, I'll take any day over Desmond Ritter. Uh, and the numbers reflect it. Seven touchdowns for Baker, three picks. Desmond Ritter, six touchdowns, six picks coming off a game. He just threw three interceptions. I'll go with Baker and the Bucs, cover two and a half to win at home and get this one done. Baker's the worst quarterback in the division. That is not true. Uh, Chargers, Chiefs, it is not true. The the, the data is Baker's had a, a very good year. He's played well. He, so. I, watched, no, he, I watched last week's game, too. He was awful last week. Awful. He is. He's one of the worst five quarterbacks in the league. Stop. No. no. No, he's one of the worst five quarterbacks in the league. There's no doubt in my mind. Like, I'll take Zach Wilson. No. No, you won't. You say well. Yeah. No, no, you won't. Chargers and Chiefs. Uh, okay. Chiefs favored by five and a half here. 
Bo, it's always interesting when we put Chiefs games on the slate because the consensus usually uh, is, yeah, Chiefs, you know, as good as they are. And, you know, this week you're going to add McCole Hardman to the mix. Frank Clark, I don't know if he'll necessarily play this weekend, but uh, you add him to that roster. Chiefs trying to make improvements and such. But the Chiefs are always bad about covering. This is not a team that is good about covering the spread, not just this year, but the year previous and the year before that, the year before that. Five and a half against a Chargers team that, granted, they have not played good uh, this year. Brandon Staley's on the way to get fired. Five and a half, like Vegas, now they might actually be on to something. Like that line, I, I could really see that five and a half go either way. That line feels spot on. Okay. Um, I was looking it up. KC is two and four against the spread this year. Yep. Um, Patrick Mahomes has lost three games in division in his career. Two of them to Justin Herbert. Yep. Both in Arrowhead. Last year, week one, Chiefs hosted the Chargers. That was week two. It was week – yes, it was week two. It was a Thursday night game. Yeah. That was the game. Justin Herbert outplayed Patrick Mahomes. The Chargers outplayed the Chiefs. That was the rib injury game, right? Yes. Justin Herbert had to come out for like two like two possessions. He threw the pick six on the play he got hurt. And that was the difference in the game. I don't know what it is about the Chargers that when they play the Chiefs, they keep that game close in Arrowhead. I don't know what it is about that. I cannot explain they it. They kept it close in L.A. too. Yes. I don't know what it is. Chiefs are a better team. The part I'm most impressed with with the Kansas City Chiefs this year is the defense. I think they're a top five defense in the league, maybe even the top three. Uh, They're great defensively. That may be the difference between this year and and last. But I'm taking the Chargers plus the five and a half here because there's something wrong with the Chiefs' offense. And they know it. They know it. They went and got McCole Hartman this week. Um, I don't think that's going to be an instant gratification on that. I do think it's going to help them, especially going down the down the line into some of their, their harder games. But there's something about the Chargers. And coming off of how they played Monday night, looking at this and going, hey, there's the team that they didn't play terrible. They didn't play bad against the Cowboys. Cowboys just beat them. And they're and- – and their three losses, they've all been close. Yeah, Except they have. They lost to the Dolphins, uh, an overtime loss by three to the Titans, and a three-point loss to the Cowboys. Yeah. I, I'm I'm here for the Chargers this game. Chiefs win the game, Chargers cover. You know, I am very much on all those reasons you just mentioned. But I, I – I think the Chiefs can find a way to get this at least, can find a way to close this out with a touchdown win. Something where maybe it's still the close game you and I talked about, but then the Chiefs get that go-ahead touchdown late in the game. I see what you're saying. It's like last week was. Yeah. Last week was the same kind of game. Like we all think, and, and it's not a knock on who the Chiefs are right now. It's just we're expecting the Chiefs to be who they were one year ago. And they're averaging five points a game less per game right now. They scored. They were second in the league in scoring last year, 29.2 points a game. This year, they're in the middle of the pack. 
and they were scoring 24 points a game. There is the thing that bothers me. I think I figured out what part of the issue is. It is something that the wide receiver play. The Chiefs' red zone issues. Last year, the Chiefs were near the top. They scored touchdowns in the red zone 71% of the time in 2022. This year, they're at 54%, and they're trending down. The last three games, they're at 33%. They're not – so their numbers inflated because of that Bears game early in the year. Uh, you know, they're averaging 25 points, a little over 25 points a game, but they've only scored over 25 twice. The 41 against the Bears, the 27 in the game uh, against, against the Jets, I think it was. Yeah. Oh, the Vikings, the Vikings game, they scored 27. This is why I think the, the Chiefs have some issues right now. If I'm the Chiefs, I what I do like them at their offense right now, running the football. Isaiah Pacheco's been great. I like his run style. Feed him the ball until you get this wide receiver thing figured out. Feed him the ball, run the football, figure that out. Get the wide receiver thing right after that. That'll help them in the long run. But the Chiefs' defense is what's kept them in these games. If they're going to have this situation happen this week, if they do cover, it's because that Chiefs' defense turns Herbert over a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good good point. So – there's our picks for this week. Let's uh, talk some headlines around the league now. Bo, uh, I want to start with Bill Belichick here. Uh, this season has not gone well for them at all. They're one in five. Their next two opponents are the Bills and the Dolphins. They're about to be one in seven. And, you know, I'm at a point, I was saying this on Chat Sports the other day, that they went from losing back-to-back games by 30 points to losing by four to the Raiders. That's not all of a sudden improvement just because you only lost by four because compared to losing back-to-back games by 30. No, no, no. You lost by four to the Walmart version of the Patriots that has Jimmy G and McDaniels and Dave Ziegler and Jacoby Myers and those guys. Like, to me, this is this is going very bad. And Belichick, Clearly something's off. Like it's it's not just the decisions he's made as GM, but he's not making good coaching decisions here. Like it, it's this is going downhill very quick. I mean, he, even you look at that roster, Bo. I know that they've had terrible luck injuries wise, but that roster went healthy. That shouldn't be a bad team, not necessarily a great team, but that's a decent roster, and they're performing well below expectations for that roster. Yeah, you know, we were saying even up until like week two or three, we were like, hey, you know, that division is rough. And even the Patriots are the Patriots, and they're going to be someone going to give people some problems. But they've been awful. And, you know, even again, up till week three, when they lost to the Eagles, they lost to the Dolphins, they beat the Jets somehow. Um, but then they haven't looked good. They didn't look good in the Cowboys game. New Orleans went in there and beat the shit out of them. I mean, just clobbered them. In a game where it looked like the Keystone Cops on both sides, uh, and they didn't score against the, the Saints defense. I know the Saints defense is good, but it ain't that good. And then they lose to the Raiders. That's just really kind of unforgivable at this point. One in five, their next two is Buffalo and then at the Dolphins. They're one in seven after those two. At some point, and we were, you know, you, there's little whispers. There, there, I saw a couple. I read a couple articles already that 
he might fire Bill Belichick in the middle of the season. And I'm not sure that they don't. And I'm not sure that it's a bad idea at this point because Mac Jones is a situation now. He's he's horrible. I mean, he's he's in the bottom five quarterbacks in this league. And I don't know that there's anything Bill Belichick can do to make him better at this point. They really don't have a cohesive offense of any kind. So here's what I'm wondering. Um, it's been rumored for a long time that Gerard Mayo was kind of the de facto coach in waiting to one day replace Bill Belichick. If you do fire Belichick now, is it with the idea of giving Gerard Mayo that audition of sorts? He's on the staff now. So yeah, I would think so. I, you know, I, there's been a lot of talk over the years of who would be the successor. You know, a couple few years ago, was, was it be Josh McDaniels? Would it be Bill Bill, Bill O'Brien? Can't imagine it being Bill O'Brien right now with how I mean that's their biggest issue is how yeah, the, the, the offense. offense is. Yeah, and you think that after Bill O'Brien went to the Nick Nick Saban School of Rehab for coaches, that he would be better. Um, I I think that the Patriots are going to have to make a change. It doesn't get any easier. They they do have a stretch coming up. Commanders, Colts, at the Giants, the Chargers, the Steelers, where they can win a couple of those, maybe. But again, what I've seen from watching them, I don't see an offensive strategy whatsoever. And in the last two to three weeks, when Matt Jones has been bad, they just pull it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, then you're going to put him right back in. Well, what are we doing? What are where where are we going with this offense? If you're the Patriots, this is not a good team. And at this point, at one in five, and in that division, you're not getting to the playoffs. I mean, you can you you're not going to reel off ten more wins. So, yeah, I think you go ahead and make some make it make the decision, the hard one. But I think you go ahead and ask Belichick to leave, leave the key card, and jump on out of here. Go enjoy your, your retirement. And from there, you play hard, you do what you can, and you evaluate everybody in the building. Yeah. Everybody, every coach, every player, and say, how are we going to start over? And if you're bad enough, you just might get lucky. Yeah. One in five. It's an interesting point. Um what about here, – here's what I wonder, too, as far as the next guy goes. They always say you don't want to replace the legend. In the way that Belichick has struggled since Tom Brady has left town, does that make it easier for the next guy of that of the replacing the legend, fact, legend factor that the fact that Belichick hasn't done that good of a job here as of late? No, I don't think it makes it any easier. I don't because – I think that there's going to be a standard. That standard is going to be the Patriot way. As long as, you know, that team is owned by um, Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft. And, and and there's going to be an expectation. It's also New England. It's Boston. It's, there's an expectation of being great there. Um, yeah, so I think that that's an issue too. And I think that whoever goes in and gets that job, or Gerard Mayo or whomever, you're replacing the legend, but the expectations are going to be high still. They're going to expect you to win quickly. So it sounds like the rumblings are that Belichick still doesn't want to give up coaching, that he still wants to coach. Bo, I know that 
we have some ridiculous owners out there. I mean, hell, Cliff Kingsbury got a job at one point um, after his debacle at Texas Tech. Even, let, let's say Belichick wants to stick around. Does anybody want Belichick? Would he still even get a second shot somewhere if he's determined to stay as a head coach? I, I don't think so. Look, I, I'm looking it up real quick here. I wanted to see how old he actually is. Um because Belichick's an old man. He's not the oldest coach in the league. I know it's Pete Carroll. But uh, Bill Belichick is 71 years old. I'm not saying the game has passed him by. I don't think that, like, for a minute. I mean, this guy's been a genius since the 80s. And he's evolved. And you look at how he's coached this team and his franchise. He's evolved from when he was a defensive coordinator for the Giants, all the success they had. He was on to great things in Cleveland when before that team moved and he got fired. And then what he did with the Patriots, it was never one style of play. It was an evolution the whole way through. But how can you go in and, and grab Bill Belichick? You also, if you take Bill Belichick, he's going to want to do things his way. How do you start over with a 71-year-old coach? In that, <laughs> and I'm not trying to de- degrade the guy. Look, anybody. You're going to start over with a 71-year-old man running your organization? That's what you're going to have to do. I don't know that's a good fit for anybody. I made the comment before with some people. I think I even told this to you. I thought this was likely Bill Belichick's last season. I think it's Bill Belichick's last season. I think in Alabama, it's Nick Saban's last season. And I just think they're both 70-plus years old. It's, it's time. It doesn't degrade who they are. I Look, Bill Belichick and... The trope that I am tired of already is that Belichick was nothing without Brady. Yeah. That's just a fucking falsehood. They had to have each other. Yeah. Brady is nothing without Belichick. We can say, well, he went to Tampa, he did this. He took Brady as a sixth round pick and made him the quarterback and built this person. Now, Obviously, Tom Brady did his part and became this great player, but he wasn't this great player out of college. It took time. It took having Bill Belichick. It took Bill Belichick to have Tom Brady in that evolution for the 20 years he's been in New England. And so not having that piece, yes, that's made it very much harder these last few years. And he's reached trying to find a quarterback, right? Maybe it was Mac Jones. They couldn't figure out the right situation there. He's not the – he is still one of the top five coaches in the history of this game in the NFL. One. Yeah. I mean, we all have who we think is – I mean, there's four or five guys that's there to argue these at the top. He's on Mount Rushmore. With or without Tom Brady, he's on Mount Rushmore. And it's a shame – if he does get fired in the middle of the season because of who he is, but that doesn't make it less deserving either. And it does give the Patriots a chance to look at the situation and go, okay, this franchise has been built top to bottom in this guy's vision. This guy's vision is no longer who we are. We've got to figure out where we are and move forward. Right. What would have helped Bill Belichick finish this season, if he does get to finish the season, would be if he'd have had somebody that was the heir apparent vocally, that this is the next guy. You put your arm around the guy. He's next. 
without doing that, there's no one who continue that effort. No one's thinking with Bill Belichick's brain. Yeah. And so I think that's the issue. If you're the Patriots, God, I hate it. If you're the Patriots, you have to fire the launch. And sooner is better than later. Yeah. And maybe there's a scenario where, you know, he could announce that he's retiring in the season. You let him coach it out or something, you know, or I mean, there, there, there could be a peaceful exit. Uh, yeah, you would hope they can negotiate their way into something, but how do you then evaluate the team? Because it's been built in his vision and it's going to continue to be his vision for 10 more games. Right. Well, you got 10 games to figure out if Mac Jones is the guy, if if Bill O'Brien's your coordinator, if any of these players are going to stay. I gotta I gotta have those 10 games. Yeah. Now, what I think will happen, I think Bill Belichick's gonna lose the next two games. They're gonna be one and seven, and they're gonna fire. And it sucks, but it, it's what's kind of necessary. It may be a couple of weeks later because they have a bye after that. They have a, they have two more games in the bye. So they have four games in a bye. But, you know, maybe going into the bye, but that's also more than Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. I tend to think it's going to happen before that. So if not, I hope that behind the scenes they're working something out where maybe Bill Belichick's wearing the hoodie on the sideline and he has the headset on, but someone's making all the play calls and, and they're evaluating things and doing things differently. Hey, so um, the Eagles and the Niners both were handed their first losses of the year this past week. Um, the belief among most going into the last week was these were the two best teams in football. What is your perception, your view on these two teams after each of them were handed their first loss? Okay, they're still in the top tier. Look, the top tier, I've got four teams I think better than everybody. Out of those four teams right now are the the Eagles, the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Bills. I can count the Lions in, but again, I like the Lions more because of their schedule moving forward. Um, What I'll say about these two is the loss I'm more willing to forgive is the 49ers. The Eagles knew they were playing a tough defense. They knew they were going to be in for a tough game. And Jalen Hurts played really bad. He played very poorly, especially in the second half of that game. Driving, giving them a chance at the end of the game. He throws an interception where he clearly forced the ball. In a situation that nobody makes that throw, why the hell he thought he could? It was a terrible throw. Then I kind of put on the Eagles and say, look, you're going to drop one. I mean, everyone's going to drop one. That was theirs. They haven't played as well as they played last season, all season long. So they were kind of due. Yeah. The 49ers are more forgiving of the of the way they lost because you lose Debo Sack. You lose McCaffrey. McCaffrey to me is the MVP of the league right now. You lose Trent Williams for two thirds of the game. The run game changed immediately, and the 49ers are so dependent on the run game. You know, we've argued a lot about Brock Purdy, and the thing that my argument has always been is they don't trust him to run it to go out there and win the game. They're not going They haven't had to say, "Go win the game, kid." And it's because of the way they play. It's because of the way the run game works. They run their game. They do the run game better than everybody. 
Trent Williams gets hurt. McCaffrey gets hurt. That's the best part of their team. Those two guys. Those two guys, that, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. They're not going to win that game. And Brock Purdy did not look good in that game. He didn't play good in that game at all. But again, I'm not going to say that it was because Brock Purdy's bad. And I think he's worse than most people think he is. He didn't lose that game. No, Jake Moody lost him that game. No, it's not even that. They lost the game because of the run game. Because they couldn't run the football. In, in the end, you can say, yeah, I should have made a kick. But you shouldn't be dependent on the kicker to win the game. For you the That's game true, too. If you're that good. Yeah. If you're, not, if you're a 10-point favorite in the game. They didn't put it on Brock Purdy to win the game. And when they had to, he couldn't do it. But they also weren't planning on that. While McCaffrey's hurt, we don't know how bad it is. I think he's going to still play, but it's, he's not 100%. We need to see what's going to happen. My worry for the 49ers is they now hand Brock Purdy the keys to the car, and he can't do it. Yeah. And that's been what my argument's been about Brock Purdy the whole time, is he's not good enough now to be handed the keys and go, go win us the game, kid. It helps when you have the MVP. And Christian McCaffrey's been the MVP for the first five weeks. Yeah. And again, I'm not trying to duck and say on things on party. I just, that's my issue with the 49ers right now. They got a gauntlet of some games coming up too. Uh, I mean, they got to play the Chiefs coming up. They play the they play the uh, the Dolphins coming up. They've got uh, the Bengals in a couple of weeks coming off a bye as well for that game. Um, there's some games on that schedule that the 49ers have where they might drop three or four games, and they, they might end up they're going to be you know 13 and four or 12 and five. People are going to say, "Well, wait a minute, what what's wrong with them? Nothing. They're still a really good team." They're still a top five team. But don't be surprised if Seattle beats them in a few weeks. Yeah. They put Seattle twice in a uh, two out of three weeks. Yeah, with one of them being on a short week on Thanksgiving. Yeah, and then they got a tough game in between. I don't have it in front of me now. I guess I could pull it. But uh, with one of those games being a tough game in between, it's like, well, wait a minute. That's They've got a gauntlet in there of games that's going to be really tough. Uh, it's Seattle at – Philly. Yeah. Seattle again. So, yeah, that's going to be tough. The 49ers are not a bad team. And everyone loses a game, even loses two or three, most likely. The best teams do. But this is what we're going to see these next couple of weeks. Luckily, they got a get right game this week with the Vikings. Yeah. So let's see what he can do. See what Brock Purdy can do. Let's see if he can get McCaffrey healthy there. Again, the one I'm more forgiving of is the 49ers. Yeah. Eagles should not have lost that game. They knew what they were going up against. They should have played better. So connecting some of the dots of some of these other teams that are mentioned here, uh, you talk about the Vikings play the Niners this upcoming week, the Jets beating the Eagles this past weekend. The Jets are an interesting position, right? They're in playoff contention. Their defense looks as good as any in the league. Um you know, the one weakness of that team appears to be their quarterback, Zach Wilson. And there is a guy in Minnesota that the Vikings are going to be taking phone calls for that's actually playing some really good football right now. Just lost his top target, Justin Jefferson, for the year. 
and the Vikings, essentially their season is over. We already know Cousins isn't going to be back next year. Yeah, they made it very clear in their front office about that. So with that said, if you're the Vikings, on the Vikings end of things, they would pretty much, since they know their season's over with, they would be crazy not to go ahead and trade Cousins and get something out of him. That's number one. But number two, the team in mind, first and foremost, has to be that New York Jets team. If you're the New York Jets, you've already invested as much as you had. Why not go ahead and and, and, and try to bring in Kirk Cousins at this point? That That's what I look at it, Bo. Like, you, you've spent all this money. You can't just be content to just let Zach Wilson ride this thing out and maybe no. get the wild card round or something. Like, I know Kurt has had his problems winning the big game, but uh, – the version we're seeing at Kirk Cousins right now, I'll take any day over Zach Wilson in, in a game. Well, okay, so I've never been a Kirk Cousins defender. We know this. Every time yeah. he catches the paycheck, he's stealing money. It's been my line for years. He's playing very well. It helps when you have Justin Jefferson. He doesn't have Justin Jefferson. They're playing a lot worse. Um, management's made it clear. The Vikings are not going to have Kirk Cousins next season. The Jets went all in. They pushed every chip to the center of the table for this season. And I know Aaron Rodgers is telling everybody he's going to be back by the end of the season. He's not going to be back by the end of the season. And even if he is for week 16 or 17, or if it was just week 17 or 18. They might be out of contention by then. Could be out of contention. you got to get someone to get you the ship righted to where you can win 12 games. 12, that's the number i got to have. i got to have 12. i got to have nine more wins if I'm the Jets. That schedule has nine wins in it, but you're going to have to steal one from a good team. They're going to need a better quarterback. The hardest part is bringing in a quarterback and the language change. Playbooks are different. The language, then you got the line, everything at the line of scrimmage is going to be different. But Zach Wilson's clearly not the guy. Clearly not the guy. Robert Sala seems to be with him so far. He is the guy he drafted as well. Keep that in mind. What's he supposed to say, too? Yeah, exactly. So I don't think it happens. I don't. But I think if I were the Vikings, it makes sense. And I think if I were the Jets, it makes sense. And for all the reasons you mentioned, if you're the Vikings, you get a pickback of some kind. And the way I'd tie that pick is, okay, if he plays in the playoffs. If you get to the playoffs and he makes the playoffs, give me a higher pick. Um, but if not, I mean – that means the Jets put everything on this one. They put everything on red here. They, they spun the wheel. Rodgers got hurt, and the season's over. They're really good. Their defense has showed they're really good. And if they have a quarterback who can play even just average at this point, they'll be in most of these games. Is there another team, let's say the Vikings are, or the, the Jets rather, are committed to Zach Wilson like they say they are, is there another team that you would expect to come calling for Kirk Cousins to potentially give them that that playoff push or something, or somebody that might like Cousins enough to be like, yeah, we'll make the trade for him now and we'll extend him. I don't think anyone trades for him and extends him. Um, what about one of the teams in the South, the NFC South? Atlanta? Atlanta. Could Atlanta say, because Desmond Ritter was not a first-round pick. He was not a high draft. You don't have that committed to the future. Um, you know, Carolina's out. They're 0-6. They're, they're out of this thing. 
New Orleans is going to ride or die with, with Derek Carr. You like Baker a lot more than I like Baker, but if the and they Bucs seem are, like they're riding or dying with Baker too. Yeah, and they and they're making a mistake doing that. I would take Kirk Cousins over Baker. But the team to your question, the team that could is the Atlanta Falcons. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the team that if I were looking and going, okay, what team can make the playoffs? Because do you think the thought process is get me in the playoffs and I can roll the dice from there? The South, the NFC South, bad. Someone's going to win that division with nine wins. Yeah. And maybe Atlanta does it. I don't know. Those would be the only two teams I can think of. I'm looking at the whole thing right now. I don't see another team where it makes sense right now. Um, there's no team from the AFC North I think makes sense. There's no team in the AFC South I think it makes sense. Um, no other NFC team outside of really Atlanta makes any sense to me for Kirk Cousins. And I do think he ends up with somebody next season. And it's going to be someone who doesn't have their franchise quarterback. Kirk Cousins makes a lot of sense for New England next year. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Like, you're probably going to have four, maybe five first-round quarterbacks. Yeah. And there's not enough first-round quarterbacks for everybody. Somebody is going to be having to settle for one of these veterans like Cousins. Um, how many quarterbacks you got five and four or five I'm thinking of okay so we know Caleb Williams let's Drake May is definitely one I I give you a lot of grief on Drake May but he's a peace pro quarterback Shador comes out yes um um, Penix Penix. uh and then from there I mean could be Riley Leonard from Duke could be him as an NFL franchise quarterback uh, Mel's got him like his number three quarterback right now. Mel's wrong. Uh, Quinn Ewers. Um, I don't see that as an NFL quarterback either. There are some scouts that sound like they like Bo Nix. I don't. You know, I don't like Bo Nix. We both are on the boat. We. I think we're both on the anti Bo Nix thing. But Bo Nix in Oregon has been a lot better than Bo Nix at all. Not what I like, but just what's out there. Yeah, and I. I Bo Nix is a clipboard guy. He's a clipboard money. Hey, look, Bo Nix will Bo Nix will sign in the end. He'll be a fifth or sixth round pick. He's gonna get he's gonna get a, a couple year contract. He's gonna go somewhere. He's gonna look good in the preseason. He's then gonna quarterback's gonna get hurt. He's gonna play two games. He's gonna look pretty good in those two games. And either someone takes him or he ends up being Chase Daniel and makes a shitload of money as I a back quarterback for 15 years in the NFL. So Another thing, when we were talking, he's, solid. He's, he's a solid player. When we were talking about the track record earlier, of yes, this was the same league that Cliff Kingsbury got hired as a head coach. Yeah. I could see some teams, and I don't like this guy either, but along those same lines, falling in love with Spencer Rattler with his raw talent and abilities when it comes to combine and pro day. You know, he's going to have a great combine and pro day. Yeah, he's going to be a combine superstar. Yeah. Somebody's going to like that. Just be truth be told. I think Dylan Gabriel's stock is starting to rise too. Yeah. Uh, so I, I look around right now. I don't, as I look around college football right now, I don't see that many quarterbacks that I look and go, that's an NFL franchise quarterback. And, I, and, them. I really don't. I, I think Drake May might be, I think Michael Penix might be in the right situation. Caleb Williams, just, he's a future Hall of Fame. I mean, he, as long as he doesn't get, as long as he doesn't get the uh, Anthony Richardson treatment here. Um, 
they've already ruined him. And Andy told you that was coming. Um, good too. What's that? He's looking good too. Oh yeah, and, and he's talented. Well, we knew Indy was going to mess that up. Uh, they are. Speaking of USC, uh, yeah, you they got beat down pretty bad last week by Notre Dame. Uh, yeah. Caleb Williams played the worst game of his college career, three interceptions. That team, it's been like a ticking time bomb, right? I mean, it was only a matter of time. I didn't think they'd lose Notre Dame. I know that they were the underdog. That they were an underdog. I didn't expect them to get punched in the mouth like that, though. I thought they were going to go to Notre Dame and beat them. I, I, I picked them last week. I said I, when I texted you my picks, I was like, USC's going to go to Notre Dame and they're going to beat them. And I thought they were going to beat them bad. Like I thought it'll be a a 14-point ass Um, Ten minutes into the game, it was over. I mean, and it wasn't Caleb Williams, and he did this a couple times in the Colorado game as well, where he he kind of has the, the, the Mahomes syndrome in a way of get out there, I'll find you. And he, and he throws the ball into a couple spots where he shouldn't throw. Now, in the USC-Notre Dame game, USC got beat up front where they were just chasing him around and they were just chasing Caleb Williams around. He couldn't get away. He's getting sacked. He's throwing the ball, just trying to get it out of his hands. So a couple of the interceptions came from, but what's been maligned about USC all season long, including two of us has been USC's defense. I mean, people have said, can Caleb Williams overcome how bad USC's defense is? The score in that game last week, you look at it, US uh, Notre Dame scored 46. Is that right? 48? Yeah. Something like that. And when you look, it was six touchdowns. And when you go back and look at it, okay, Notre Dame had the kick return for a touchdown. They received the ball in the first half alone. They got the ball on the 2, the 14, and the 50. Now, in the second half, in the fourth quarter, they got the ball to one. Well, we figure it was 35 points were scored by Notre Dame's offense and special teams with only going 65 yards total. Yeah. I mean, it was was 67 67 yards. Get the ball to one, the two, the 14, and the 50. I don't care what defense you are. You cannot put that on them. And USC's defense made Notre Dame drive the field in every other possession. And Notre Dame only had one consistent drive the entire game. Yeah. If the ball was on the other side of the 50, USC's defense played well. Caleb Williams and the offensive line let USC down. Yeah. Last week against Notre Dame. That's not on the defense. Again, no. I'd be a defensive coordinator. I'd be pissed getting the ball in the one, the two, the 14, and the 50. Um, but USC's in trouble. When we, I picked them against Utah this week, I think they'll bounce back a little bit. But if they don't win against Utah, they're in serious trouble because they've got Cal next week, which they should beat up Cal. But then they play Washington. They play at Oregon. Those two lost right there. They're losing both those games. Yeah. And then they're going to have UCLA at the at the Coliseum. And if Caleb Williams has got three losses already, he ain't going to try real hard in that game. Let me ask you this real quick. 
um, on USC, and, and then we got to move on here. Yeah. Uh, with their situation, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley's not going to get a quarterback better than Caleb Williams. This is good. Oh. As it goes. And, you know, you look at this year, hasn't gone the way they would have liked. This is already his second stop. It felt like at Oklahoma he reached their ceiling, right? Now at USC, about to enter the Big Ten and everything here. If the could this be it for Lincoln Riley USC? Does he start to really think about that NFL call and, and and leave with Caleb Williams here? And maybe he goes to where Caleb goes or something here. I mean, do, do you think now's the time where Lincoln Riley, if this season doesn't go the way it wants or whatever, that he starts to really consider that NFL job? Right, let me break this down. You get lots of questions there. First off, no NFL team should hire him and Caleb Williams. Like, those two have got to have a separation at some point. Caleb Williams is going to be better without Lincoln Riley in the NFL. Yes. Now, some team at some point is going to talk to Lincoln Riley. Um, Lincoln Riley, to me, I think I texted you this this past weekend, is the definition of football coaching nepotism. Yeah. There is a nepotism problem in the, in the NFL and in college football, and Lincoln Riley is agent zero of this. Love their young white offensive minds and his daddy was a core was a coach in the nfl and, and a good coach in college i lincoln riley he you you said it best he'll never have another quarterback as good as caleb williams there's just no way i mean the odds are he'll never have one that good ever again i mean you only get peyton manning one time you only get you know andrew luck one time and he's not likely going to have even a conference title to show for it with caleb williams no. Big 12 or Pac-12. Yeah, and that's that's just horrible. And then they lost the bowl game last year to Tulane. Yeah. I mean, it's – I wonder – and I know that it's a long contract for USC. They're going to regret that contract with Lincoln Riley. And I, I think the point where Lincoln Riley can kind of hide a little bit, you know, in L.A., it maybe won't be as bad. Lincoln Riley should be happy he's not in the SEC. If Lincoln Riley was the head coach in Alabama right now, and he had Caleb Williams, and then that happened, whoo. Doesn't Oklahoma feel a lot better with Brent Venables right now? I, w- I would think so. Could you imagine? It's doing a great job this year. Talk he about really it. is. He really is. Um, could you imagine if Lincoln Riley was in the SEC? Could you imagine what Paul Feinbaum's radio show and, and TV show would be like right now? Yeah. If it was an SEC team. Let, let's say that, you know, he was oh. at that LSU job. Same exact scenario. They wanted him. If this was you, if this was year two with Caleb Williams, uh, it would be hell in a handbasket right now. As an LSU person, I would tell you if this is that it happened, yes. Hey, there's a lot of people that are mad at Brian Kelly. I can't imagine what it would be like if it was Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. I mean, yeah, that would that would not have gone well. Last question, we'll end on this. Uh, yeah. Georgia loses Brock ba- Bowser's uh, for a while. He's been arguably the best player in college football the last two or three years. Um, he's been a huge part of their offense. Georgia, their quarterback play with Carson Beck has not been good. You take Bowser's out of the equation here. How much does this affect Georgia? I think quite a bit. He is the... We were texting a couple weeks ago during the Georgia game. I forget who it was they played that week, but South Carolina. 
North Carolina, and Beck's just missing throws left and right. I mean, just all over the place. If you were grading him, it would have been an F. And there was two throws in a row that he threw to Bowers, where Bowers is running one way, and he reaches back with that big palm of his and grabs the ball three feet behind him, catches both of them. One's an easy interception if he doesn't get his hands on it. Um, Georgia's in trouble without Bowers. I don't mean that they're going to lose games here. I don't even know what their schedule is the next couple of weeks. But if they don't have Brock Bowers come SEC championship time, somebody from the East might snipe him, or from the West might snipe it, He's been the equalizer. He's he's Kelsey. He's Gronk. You know, I asked you before this, I said, if if you could have Brock Bowers, if you, take, if you could have taken Travis Kelsey in the top five of the draft, wouldn't you? Yes. Brock Bowers should be a top five player in this draft. I know some people are saying he's going to flip into six or eight or ten. He's one of the best five players in this draft. To me, he's the third best player. There are three players that think are better than everybody. Caleb Williams, Marvin Harrison Jr., Brock Bowers. Those are three players you know are in almost any situation imaginable going to be difference makers in the NFL. Bowers, to me, looks like Travis Kelsey, but he runs better routes. He's faster. He's faster. Kelsey has them big hands. He's a tough son of a bitch. But but Bowers, to me, reminds me of he fits that mold of Gronkowski and, and Kelsey. Yeah, a, a really good team to make it to be figuring out how to get the top five, get those guys. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. George is in trouble without him, though. Before we go, uh, what's on the podcast this week? Well, we just recorded a bit of it. Uncle Rico and I just did a whole bunch of NFL stuff. And then I'm going to jump on about the uh, ALCS and the NLCS. I have some opinions. Um, and we talked, talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about the um, the whining baseball fans. Everyone's whining because the teams that won the most games lost. You know, the Dodgers fans are mad. The Braves fans are, are, are mad. Um this is the way the game is played. This is the rules. You knew what the rules were when you played. It, so it, this is what it, this is what it is. It's fun. It's exciting. We got good teams that are left, and um, I'm enjoying that a lot. And then um, Tyler, they got me hooked. They got me hooked. We're two weeks into the season, and the NHL has their meat hooks into me. I love hockey. I'm from Louisiana. Damn it. I never saw a hockey game in my life until a few years ago. And they got me. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. I like it. He's Coach Bo. Check him out. O'Connor Advisor Group. OAGKiss.com. O'Connor Advisor Group.com. Coach Bo knows podcasts wherever you're listening to podcasts. Bo, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you next week. Talk to you next week. Final segment before we go. It's our top folder story of the week. Thomas Bridges standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where shall we head to this time? Well, Jones, we're going to Miami. You ever been? I have. I love Miami. Been multiple times. Which Miami? Uh, Miami, Florida, or Miami, Oklahoma? What about Miami of Ohio? Oh, that one have not been to, no. Well, one student did. Um, this comes from insider.com. Student was excited to move to Florida for college. Then she realized she went to she applied to Miami University 
of Ohio. Oh, boy. When Valerie Doe, 19, applied to study at Miami University in 2021, she was excited by the prospect of spending her days lounging on the beaches in the sun in Florida, surrounded by palm trees like she'd seen in the movies. <laughs> as an international student, <laughs> surprise, as an international student living in Vietnam, she couldn't visit the university before applying. So when the university sent her an acceptance letter welcoming her to Ohio, Doe felt confused. At first, she worried whether Ohio might be a district or a county in Florida. But after a quick Google search, her beach fantasy was shattered when she realized she wouldn't be going to the University of Miami in Coral Gables, Florida. As she initially thought, she'd be going to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Miami. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Miami University in Ohio was founded in 1809 and named after the Great Miami River in the southwestern Ohio. The name of the city of Miami, Florida, is derived from the native Tequesta name Miami, believed to be mean, believed to mean big water or sweet water. I realize there are no beaches. It's just in the cornfield in the middle of nowhere in Midwest America. After spending some time researching Doe said she realized Miami University had a good business school. She decided to accept the offer and she moved from Vietnam to Ohio. And her job was a campus tour guide. Oh, so she even she went all the way. Doe often told students the story behind how she ended up here. People found the story funny, so when she heard the trending TikTok around, I'm already, oh, I'm, I'm already there. My Lone Star, a song about being somewhere in spirit, even though you can't be physically present. She decided to use it to make fun of herself for the mistake. In the video posted on October 4th, Doe is sitting in front of the laptop as she mimes along to the song and gestures dramatically. In the text overlaying the video, she wrote, When someone says go to hell, but I'm studying abroad at Miami University of Ohio. I thought it was Miami, Florida, and did not realize there are no beaches here. It's just cornfields out in the middle of nowhere. Jones. Good for you. You went to University of Kansas. There's really no denying that. Right. But if you went to like the University of Kansas, Oklahoma, you would have been in a town of maybe 5,000. Yeah. Uh, you know, my mom, she began her college career at uh, at NEO in Miami. And back then, when you get more telemarketing calls, uh, you know, through the home phone and such, she said it was always funny. You knew somebody was a telemarketer when they would ask if you were from Miami, Oklahoma. Uh, <laughs> right. Get a Miami. Uh, but th this, this is hilarious. Like you would think Tom, a quick Google search before all this, she could have figured out like what was going on. The fact that she followed through and still went and, Ended up embracing the place. That that's the craziest part of. That's of a good sport, right? That's uh, a good sport. I have so many questions. Like my first one is: I wonder if the deadline passed already for her to still apply to the University of Miami, uh, Miami, Florida, at that time or something. You would think, but then like, 
I don't like, okay, so you apply and go. And then at the same time, okay, okay, where's the, you know, you don't expect that until you get there. What, what did your flight say? Right. What's, what's your flight end up saying? Yeah. Just, just wild to me. And, and Miami of Ohio, you know, uh, correct. Sorry that I'm not great when it comes to Ohio geography, but it reminds me of the the classic Yokim Noah rant about Cleveland. Like, who wants a vacation in Cleveland? Like, I've never heard anybody say I want to go to Miami of Ohio and, and enjoy myself up there. Like, what what a what a bad college experience. If you were going to name off the places that you could go. Miami, Ohio, of D1 universities would probably be towards the bottom of that list. Oh, I mean, I'd go to Middle Tennessee before then. Yeah, I live in Nashville. Absolutely. Um, I only know of of, of two alums of, of Miami, of Ohio, besides Ben Roethlisberger. Um, like my buddy Tom Downey, he went there. He and his wife did, and that's all I know of. Uh, that went to Miami, Ohio, but and he's I, a Cowboys fan, right? Exactly. I'm looking up their notable alumni now. Let's see. Besides uh, Tom Downey here, let's see who's on this list. Um, we have checking in uh, as I do a quick uh, Wikipedia search. By the way, love Wikipedia. Uh, former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan went there. Wow. Uh, we got Brian uh, Nicole, the CEO of Chipotle. Wow. Uh, Chris Rose of uh, NFL Network and the MLB Network. Uh, oh, here you go, Tom. Uh, we talk about good football people. John Harbaugh and your guy, Sean McVay, went there. Well, be damn, really? Yeah. And then, uh, and then another one, uh, Wally Zerbiak. And uh, the professional wrestler, The Miz. So maybe it's not so bad after all. I mean, but nobody, that's my thing. Nobody stayed. That's true. None of those people are still in that area or even in the state of Ohio. There's a reason. Um, I wonder, do you think Sean McVay partied much at uh, at Miami, Ohio, or do you think he just nerded out there? No, I think he partied. I mean, Sean McVay probably got a lot, if we're being honest. Oh, huh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Another's on this uh, on this list uh, that we have here. Paul Brown, the uh, founder of the Browns and the Bengals. Uh, let's see. We know we know Big Ben partied there too. Ben probably did some things that uh, he wouldn't want to admit publicly. Yeah, probably not. 
Tom, what what have been some big mix-ups that maybe you've had uh, of, of something similar like this? Mm. I don't know if I've had that big of a mix-up, to be honest. Um, when I was a kid, I I remember the first time somebody told me that buffalo wings did not come from buffaloes, and, and that blew my mind. Mm. What'd you do? Uh, I was shocked. Like I, I didn't realize that buffaloes did not have wings. Was it that, or you were just like kind of rolling with it? No, I, I was dead serious. Like I, I thought they'd cut them off when they were like babies or something, you know. And and that's what we ate. So I don't know. Maybe uh, that's on me for not knowing that. But nonetheless. That'll do it for Tom Fullery uh, this week, our Tom Fullery story of the week. Kind of bizarre. Uh, big thanks to uh, Michelle Montaigne, Coach Bo, for joining us. You, the listener, for stopping by as well. As always, subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Check us out. Uh, and uh, check us out on social media as well. X, Facebook, uh, at Tyler Jones Live, at Studio Soapbox. Studio underscore soapbox on uh, X. Instagram, Jones underscore report. Thomas underscore Bridges. Tyler Jones Live. You can find me there. And uh, big thanks to uh, Coach Bo, Michelle Montaigne. And uh, also, make sure to check out the uh, Studio Soapbox Network. Not just this show, but the Coach Bo Knows podcast. Let's go racing with David Starr and more. And uh, we thank you for joining us. For Thomas Bridges, Coach Bo, Michelle Montana, our entire crew of Tyler Jones, thanks so long. It's been another distant Jones Court. We'll see you next week.